Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Yosoko, Rezoringo, Nimuchu. And that is probably the worst Japanese in wrestling since Kenzo Suzuki was on our TVs. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Suns Hooked on Wrestling. Welcome to the show. I am Rob McNichol and joining me, I would normally call him Showbiz Paul Benson, but for today I'm going to call him the Emperor of Hooked on Wrestling, Paul Benson Sam. <laughs> Domo Agato, Mr. Rob Nichol. How are you? I'm fine. I don't, that's a line I only know from the, when the uh, when the lads played bowling there in the Simpsons. So I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you actually said. I, I may have uh, convinced people at the start there that I am some sort of Japanese scholar, uh, but I am not. I, of course, welcome everyone in that vein, uh, because Paul Benson, yes, that one that's uh, listening, uh, speaking, I should say, on the other side of the line, uh, pulled it out of the bag this week. It's his big, shining, finest hour. Uh, when we did our predictions we did some official predictions for the Suns website and after I have been talking about Shinsuke Nakamura winning the Royal Rumble for the last six weeks I changed my mind and when I had to do a <laughs> when I had to do a predictions piece I did Finn Balor and I went with uh, out of nowhere I went with Becky Lynch as well to win the women's one and I decided it was going to be an all Irish uh, win uh, set of wins and Paul stuck with the, uh, the Japanese side as indeed did uh, Jamie Kennedy our guest host in Glasgow and our guest writer for the week and they were correct the Japanese sweep across the two Royal Rumble matches Shinsuke Nakamura and Asuka and Paul I could not imagine you being any more delighted yes well actually Rob I was more delighted with my prediction of the hurricane as yes. a mystery entrance yes, I, I don't I think I've ever been more delighted with a prediction in my life I wasn't going to mention that one because I, I assumed you would at some stage um, <laughs> can I just say folks that I was sat on the I was sitting I should say uh, on the dress circle of the Clapham Grand theatre style setup, and Paul was on the floor and I still managed to find his eye and him looking up at me and just pointing and set the only one in there are 500 people celebrating the fact that Hurricane was in the Royal Rumble <laughs> I think I picked if I remember rightly I picked Hurricane and Rey Mysterio you picked Hurricane no you didn't pick Rey Mysterio you said you didn't pick Rey Mysterio on the podcast you told me and you told me Face to face that you thought Rey Mysterio, but I think that's a different one. You didn't mention it on the podcast. Uh, I've been talking. I've, that's a, that's a similar one to you backing out of Nakamura then at the last minute because I've been yeah. I've been talking Mysterio for a few weeks. So yes, yes, uh, oh well. well you didn't, I don't think you said it on the podcast. I can say that I did say Beth Phoenix though, so um, I will take that one. I don't I don't think that was quite as uh, highly successful as uh, Kane shout. Not so. not as difficult to call that one. Not as difficult to call, but I did get it right. That is the yes, point. you did. Yes, you did. So we're all winners here on the Hooked on Wrestling podcast, um, well, some more than others, uh, but um, Paul, first and foremost, we should say about the Royal Rumble, what a great show. Fantastic, mate, and un unusually, um, this is literally, as we are talking, as our lips are flapping now, 
the first time you and I have sat and talked about the Rumble. We've not even spoken off air about this this week. That is um, true. And that's unusual. I thought it was a bloody brilliant show, especially considering how flat and, and, and non-existent, really, the build was, how there weren't any real excitement put behind any winners... I thought it was a very it was, it was I think it was the, the men's rumble was the best I've seen in a decade. There was a couple of other very good matches on there. Um the women's rumble more than held up its end and we got um we got a conclusion that will uh, go down in WWE history. So um yeah, big thumbs up from me on that one. How about yourself? Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. And as Paul says, we we haven't discussed that. Um you, what you may or may not know is that um, Paul and I will watch the uh, uh, the Rumble together, or at least be in the same building for it, but uh, in throwing our Hooked on Wrestling London party in the Clapham Grand, uh, I host the evening, Paul is the organiser, so we talk fleetingly when we have to during the evening. Uh, I tend to have a few drinks early on, and then once the show starts, I get some lemonade and some water in my system because my voice <laughs> is going. Paul tends to not drink early on because he's got to be organised, and as soon as the show starts, starts um, breaking out the bubbly. Um, so we don't always um, interact over the night and actually it's true I think I saw you very briefly when we went back to the hotel and that was it so uh, we're we're utterly sick of the sight of each other after a day like that (laughs) Um, so we don't pick up the phone for three days and then uh, then we do a podcast that's how we uh, consider ourselves the most professional outfit um, in this room Um, but it's uh, it was a great show and I think it was it's always clear that we can take a good gauge because we are among, like I said, 500 people or so watching it live. Now, I always think that the live experience ramps things up a little bit. We often find that what we think is a, you know, 8 out of 10 show, by the time we look online, people are rating it 6 or 7. And if we think it's 6 or 7, people online tend to be rating it 4 or 5. That's just the nature of the beast. But I did find this was much more in line this time. I felt that the reactions by the, from the audience, I was checking things on Twitter... Um, as I was going along and it did feel like there was a bit more simpatico this time and that's not a Mexican entrant from the 1997 Rumble um, it just felt that there was a little bit more uh, in, in the way of agreement from what was uh, being seen by people at home and people live um, and I want to say we've had the Hardy Boys appearing at Wrestlemania we've had AJ Styles coming in at number 3 in the Royal Rumble 2 years ago would you put Shinsuke Nakamura winning the Rumble alongside those two? There was a guy stood a few feet away from me, genuinely and literally sobbing his heart out. <laughs> um, maybe a slight overreaction, but certainly uh, what did a you reaction say? What did... I've never seen before. You just said to him, mate, we've got to charge 11 quid. We've got to make profit somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't have taken his beer away from him, should I? No, um, no he, he, was, he was absolutely delighted to the point of tears, and that's a first. Um, it was, it was, in terms of, it wasn't as shocking a moment as those you just mentioned. So probably didn't get as big a visceral reaction, but it was as popular a thing as we've ever seen at the party. Um, the only thing I can like it to in terms of a match result is Daniel Bryan winning at WrestleMania 30. Possibly, although I thought that was more expected. You know, I, I agree. I Daniel agree. Bryan all night, you felt that that was the narrative. Where this felt, you know, we were we were saying about Shinsuke a few weeks out, but there was still that feeling of. Yeah, they're going to take you to the wire and he's going to come close, but still Roman Reigns is going to win. It just felt that there were, there, there's always the chance that they could pull the rug out. But how, it, he... was, it was absolutely masterful how they did those that final four. It was. Absolutely masterful, and especially especially the final three. And you, in fact, you could say all the way down. So you had the, you had 
I like the, that face-off they did, the final six, where they had the old guard against the yeah. new. Mm-hmm. You had Reigns, Nakamura, Bala against Cena, Orton, and Mysterio. Really cool. And then when you got down to the three, you had the two big bads for the you know for the audience that tends to come to our parties, Cena and Reigns, against Nakamura, and he bested them all, and it gave us enough false finish they give us enough false finishes to make us think and how many times have we seen it where we've got these hope spots and then our hopes are dashed um but no they they absolutely nailed it nailed it they did we'll come back to the rumble itself in terms of um breaking down some bits and bobs from it because I, I want to really go through it and not too forensically but i want to go through it from some because all night I felt like I was going, oh, that's a good little bit. Oh, I like that. And it was quite nuanced. It wasn't like a big headline here and there, but just little things that they did, which by doing seven, eight, nine, ten of those little things well, they made it into a fantastic rumble rather than having... You've had some rumbles where nothing has happened for 25 entries and then you've had a great ending or you've had a great yes. start and a great ending but a saggy middle. This really felt like they built the thing really nicely. That The whole thing had hard-hitting elements, it had crowd favourites in there all the time, it had funny moments, it had moments of character development, it had returns, it just, I never felt there was a single bit of sag in that rumble, it felt as if it was really, really beautifully, but I think the best, I'm going to say certainly the best booked rumble of all time, and I mean I'm I'm saying that in terms of all of the elements, People will always go back to 92 and say that's their favourite Rumble. And I'll say, yeah, I'm not going to talk you out of it. But essentially the booking in that Rumble was Flair. And that was it. And then then right at the very end, Hogan and Justice. But generally speaking, that was Flair's Rumble. um, And there wasn't much else going on other than the odd bit here and there. But this was full of stuff and full of stuff you can look back on. And uh, and we will do um, shortly uh, coming up in the podcast. Um, We've just mentioned our show in London there. Um, our Hooked on Wrestling party we had uh, 13 across the country if you came along thank you so much we hope you enjoyed it but we're going to try and make an effort to not do not be overly heavy with the plugging this time because I know that sometimes um, we can go on a little bit uh, self-indulgently but we want to really quickly mention it now and I'm talking less than a minute Paul so uh, be speedy um, but I just want to say that we are going ahead or tickets are already available for some of our Wrestlemania parties um, can you really, really quickly give us a rundown of what's available right now, where people can go, and then we will put the plugging in the, in, you know, in the in the box for one week, and then we'll talk about it next time. Yes, absolutely. So we're gonna ultimately we're gonna have about 15 parties, 16 parties up and down the country, but we're working our way through those and getting them all finalised with the venues. Right now, you can go online and buy tickets for our London party at the Clapham Grand. Um, or you can buy tickets for our Manchester, Sheffield, Chelmsford or Brighton parties all at the walkabouts in those towns and cities. You can get all the tickets from ringsideworld.co.uk or hookedonevents.co.uk and you can find more information on any of it um, and join the event page to keep up to date on information facebook.com forward slash ho wrestling. Okay, we are literally going to try and Keep the uh, keep the plug to minimum this week. So we can uh, we can just talk some wrestling and not have to do the business uh, for this week. Because um, we we do want to thank everyone that came out because it was a it was a great night and uh, we've had we've had some really nice feedback. So uh, thank you for that. Um, right, Paul Benson. It's a hugely busy week. We've had the the Royal Rumble. We've had oh. NXT. Um, we've had the Raw and SmackDown coming out of it. We've had some bits of news that have broken during the week. Um, without going for the obvious headlines. 
what is one thing that you can pick out of this week's news that you'd like to say? Here's Benson's take on what's going on. Well, here's Benson's take, if you're, if you'll excuse the cringy term. It is, uh, that's rubbish, by the way. I know that that's a rubbish term, yeah, but we'll, I'll try and think of something for the future. We're taking yeah. a mick. Um, I looked at, you know, I, you know, I discussed this, how infuriatingly flat the build to the Royal Rumble was. It was it was as if there wasn't an event happening. And all WWE chose to hang their hat, hats on for the build was the fact that the Women's Royal Rumble was history-making. Frankly, what does that actually mean? In terms of a good show, zip. Um, not many people wanted to watch it just so they could say they witnessed history, I feel. The other thing they hung their hats on was a, a, a questionable triple threat between Strowman, Kane and Lesnar that no one was exactly clamouring to see. It felt like a way to get Strowman involved in a title picture without him taking a fall. Um, so, I thought the, the build to the Royal Rumble was dreadful and frankly, um, I think a lot of people agreed with me. Now, the fact that we got a good show was, was a great thing in itself, but what really struck me is that by the time that you know the copyright WWE graphic flashed up on the screen at the end of that show we already had one of the better built manias of all time and now obviously I'm not talking about in terms of storylines because they've not yet played out but what WWE have done already which is so so smart they've got their pieces in place on the board strategically to to maximize the audience for WrestleMania already and I look at it in two ways and again, I was I was kind of worried talking. You know, I've talked about this a few times. I was talked about how WWE had to have something big lined up for WrestleMania because Reigns against Lesnar just was not going to cut it. It was going to no nobody who was a real sort of passionate wrestling fan was going to be that invested in the pay per view with that as the headline. They did, in fact, have something big, and they had more than that. They've got men's and women's matches appealing to both demographics appealing to both the hardcores in droves and the casuals in droves so breaking that down on the men's side of things you've got the lane uh, reigns lesnar match which you know like it or not it's a big deal it's two big name guys who are well known uh, in the mainstream obviously lesnar more so than reigns but it's going to be a well-built match aimed at those casual fans coupled with that you have got Shinsuke Nakamura against AJ Styles pimped really hard as a dream match on the pay-per-view and wow like what what an encounter that this is that we're going to see at Wrestlemania there's not a single pure wrestling fan that's going to want to miss this match and so ultimately already they've got their hardcore fan base in on Mania with one match without a minute's worth of build all it took is Shinsuke Nakamura to say three syllables in the ring after the Royal Rumble. Genius. On the women's side, and I'll keep this brief, similarly, Asuka, the most popular, probably the most popular pure wrestling character uh, in the women's division of all time in WWE. And I'm not talking about the pizzazz and the, the character around the wrestler. I'm talking about the most popular pure wrestler. She is everybody's sweetheart. She's an amazing wrestler. Top three on the roster of any gender. Um, and she's going to WrestleMania to fight for the title um, after a dominant rumble performance and people are into that you know that's what people wanted to see people are really keen to see her remain undefeated and take that belt fantastic and then you've got Ronda Rousey 
the most ballsy mainstream move WWE have made in pff, however long absolutely massive the publicity they're going to get off the charts you know despite her taking those two USC losses she is at the vanguard arguably now and I'm not going to go into this here but this whole movement that we're seeing now about gender equality you could make a very good argument that Ronda Rousey started that full stop her acceptance as a combat sport athlete and as a UFC athlete on par as a draw and a popular competitor with the men you could say that's that started the whole wave in society of gender equality and I know that's a big bold statement but you know it's something I'd be willing to stand by or at least try to stand by anyway maybe I get picked apart um, if they can couple her with The Rock as has been rumoured to take on Triple H and Stephanie forget it forget it Wrestlemania records slashed done um, so yeah that's for me that that is the most sort of telling thing coming out of this weekend is how good a show they put on but more importantly just how well they've set their business up for Wrestlemania already kudos a fine pitch sir um, that's I, the longest I, I've ever spoken on this podcast sorry I think that's the longest no no we've heard you plugging it's the longest you've ever spoken without <laughs> plugging uh, but um I'll ask you a question here as a follow-up because, uh, as everyone will know, listening, you're the uh, you're the mixed martial arts guy and I'm not. Um, but am I right in saying that when UFC, well, maybe not when UFC started, but certainly in their earlier days, they pretty much pledged that they wouldn't have any women's fighting. It was it was never going to be thus. It was always going to be a men's world, and that women, you know, shouldn't be involved in this kind of thing. Blah blah blah. And not only absolutely, that, not only did that change. But they were main eventing, you know, they were main eventing UFC before they were main eventing in WWE. Famously, you know, famously, whenever Dana White was asked about it, he would absolutely say exactly what you said. We will not do female MMA ever. Which is odd, and even though he has a woman's name. <laughs> well, even after Ro- Rousey started and, and the, 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 the women's ball started to roll, for a long time after that started, he would, he would also claim, I'm not in the women's MMA business, I'm in the Ronda Rousey business. And he made no secret of the fact that without her, there wouldn't have been an MMA division. And the whole division was, in fact, in place to showcase her. Didn't try and hide that. Obviously, that's evolved since then. But um, that was his take at the time. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. She battered that door down for combat sport athletes of any type um, without question. Which begs the question is how well she's going to do uh, once she comes in. More on that. Uh, in a short while but from what you're saying about Wrestlemania so you're talking about the the breadth of how that they can go about building a card so you're not talking about the dream card like New Japan you're not talking about the dream card like Ring of Honor you're talking about how every single type of wrestling fan young, old you know internet you know casual that's what you're talking about aren't you you're talking about there being something for everyone essentially not just something for everyone because I think there's, there's you could argue that on most well built cards I think there is a huge attraction for everybody or mostly everybody already and if they carry on down that path I think they're going to be yes business wise in an absolutely brilliant place I think the one thing that actually stands out at the moment that uh, is no by no means a certainty uh, which is the opposite to normal is um, you know where are the part timers now okay you're going to say to me Ronda Rousey's brand new and Lesnar doesn't wrestle very often okay fine but Lesnar's had his busiest year since he came back seven or eight years ago yeah without a doubt 
So Lesnar's not full time, but Lesnar shouldn't be full time, by the way. You would ruin Lesnar by having him full time. So of course. Lesnar is as full time as he needs to be, so I don't include him in the part timers anymore. Um, Cena, you can argue, but Cena has you know, done enough over the years that I still don't consider him to be part time, even though he might be coming in and out from time to time. Ronda Rousey's brand new, but brand new doesn't necessarily mean part time. We don't know what she's going to do sticking around afterwards. I am saying, where's Triple H? Where's The Undertaker? Where even is Shane? Um, where is uh, The Rock? Or, or any of these people? Um, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't be on the card. I'm not saying they will or will not be on the card. But I'm saying that that is the gap in your market at the moment. Um, and so we'll see. I'm, I, I factor in also Goldberg and Kurt Angle and other people that are possibles or, you know, that could fit into any of those slots. Um, some people will say it would be better without them. Um, it will give more chances for, let's say, the likes of uh, a Sheamus and Cesaro or a Kevin Owens or a Finn Balor or a Seth Rollins or any of those to have slightly higher profile matches. Um, others will say, if we're catering to all audiences, what about the people that are being brought back into wrestling from years gone by by seeing, wow, Goldberg's on the show, Sting's on the show, that people have done in recent years. So they, they, those people are not to be discounted. Um, so I think that's a gap at the moment, Paul, from what you're saying, but I, I suspect it will be filled somewhere. Whether or not that's The Rock joining Ronda, um, that seems a little bit of a push to me. I've, I feel like they've got enough in her as an attraction to do something without shelling out for him as well. But then, you know, who knows? Yeah, well, like you say, there's a lot to be put in place yet. I'm not by any stretch saying that this WrestleMania car will be absolutely incredible. I'm just saying that there's going to be like the high spots are going to be high um, for all the demos that want to hit. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, you, you've got to imagine that at least some of those names you just mentioned are going to be on there. Maybe not all of them. Some of them maybe will be first choice. And if they can't get those first choices, they'll go to the second choice. Who knows? Um, but I think that as with anything, it's not for me, it's not about whether they use the part-timers or not. I don't really subscribe to this theory that they shouldn't have their place there because the other guys are the air all year round. No, I don't think that's true. For the most part, these guys are part-timers who can come back like this because they've paid their dues, because they've proved themselves as full-timers, as draws over and above practically anyone on the current roster. So I think, do you know what? Once you've got to that position, you deserve to be able to milk that opportunity. You've worked hard enough for it. It's not about that. It's about whether you can put them in interesting and interesting scenarios that will make for good TV and ideally make for bigger stars coming out of it. You know, the uh, Triple H against Seth Rollins was a great example of what should have been a star-making performance. Maybe it's not been what we want it to be. Um, and I think that was a good use of a, of a part-time and there's been other ones you could argue not so good. Um, but I think people need to just sort of lose this part-time, a bad full-time, a good tag and just think more about what it's doing for the card and the business. Agreed. Um, and I've realised I missed one name off. I suspect he won't be involved in WrestleMania this year. Um, but that name is Chris Jericho. Um, there is still a chance mm. that he could be somewhere. I would suggest that Jericho is smart enough um, to know that he wants to be in a, in a prominent position. If, if Jericho, even at 47 or whatever he is, his stock is perhaps at an all-time high because of what he's just done with New Japan. There ain't no way Jericho's coming into job to Fandango this time, folks. Um, if Jericho comes back, it will be something major. And if he knows that you've got AJ Nakamura and you've got Ronda Rousey and you've got Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and possibly a couple of other things, Jericho is not bringing himself back to be fourth, fifth, sixth on the card. He ain't hey. doing it. 
I, I would I would have no qualms. Probably the first time I can ever say this. No qualms. I don't think there'd be any issues with putting um, Jericho in that slot that I just mentioned in that tag team match with with Rousey against Steph and Triple H. It'd make perfect sense. Would it? Why? Well, he's got the natural inbuilt rival with Triple H and Steph. Mm-hmm. Um, Personality-wise, he's you know he's not dissimilar to Rousey. You know he's a maverick. He's a big star. He's been the best in the world. She went out and she needed a tag team partner that was the best in the world. She went and got Chris Jericho. Okay, makes a lot uh, of sense. Ask me my take of the week, if you will. Rob, what is your lukewarm to medium hot take of the week? My lukewarm to medium hot, depending on if I'm having the uh, the Jal Frazier or the Doppiazza. Um I am saying that the reaction on Raw, and in particular SmackDown, to the name Ronda Rousey was most interesting. Mm-hmm. When Charlotte was in the ring on SmackDown and she mentioned Ronda Rousey, the crowd booed. Yep. When she was mentioned on Monday, the crowd sort of went... I think wrestling fans like wrestlers and I think they have spent the last three or four years building up the women's division they have gone from strength to strength they've put them in matches they haven't had before like Hell in the Cell like the Royal Rumble they're about to have an elimination chamber they've gone away from you know fair play to some of the people that came back um, in the Rumble last Sunday but we've gone away from trying to force um uh, Eve Torres to wrestle and Kelly Kelly to wrestle and Candice Michelle to wrestle because they're sure. not good enough we've gone away from that we now have proper wrestlers we were able to put on a 30 woman wrestle, uh, sorry, Royal Rumble match with what 7 or 8 people coming back but still plenty of people in the company as well as all of the ones that are top credible content- excuse me top credible contenders they introduced us to Ember Moon who's going to be a big star they didn't even bring in um, you know, two or three others that they've got waiting that, that, that can be very, very good as well. The depth is there, and the fans love that. They enjoyed the dropping of the Diva title, as in the div- calling them Divas rather than calling them wrestlers or superstars. So you've spent three, four, five years doing that to the audience, and then you bring someone in brand new from another world. And I think the audience are going to reject her. And I think we might end up with a little bit of the Floyd Mayweather scenario. Where Floyd Mayweather was meant to come in as a bit of a, a bit of a hero, knocking down the angry big nasty giant, but actually WWE went, no, we like the Big Show and we're going to cheer the Big Show. And actually Mayweather had this bloody great entourage as well, which didn't help. And they thought Mayweather was coming in as a babyface, and the crowd went, no chance. And I think they might do it with Ronda Rousey. So if they go down what you're saying as the route being Rousey plus one versus Triple H and Steph they might get away with it because The Rock or Jericho would be so popular and Steph probably would be so toxic that they'd be able to get around it. They'd want to see Stephanie beaten up um, so it would be good enough. However, I think if they put Ronda Rousey with anyone on that WWE roster, I think they're going to cheer the WWE wrestler. I think they're going to boo Ronda Rousey. And I think that could be a little bit embarrassing for WWE so I think they have got to watch themselves over the next nine and a half weeks about their positioning if they go with Rousey faces the other champion as in let's say Asuka faces Charlotte and we have that match let's if Asuka, if we get Rousey versus say Alexa Bliss and it's just someone that Rousey's going to beat up in a minute and win the title 
I think the fans will reject her. So I think it's interesting to see what they, what they do from here on in, because they are not going to want to trump this biggest signing ever in the women's division, who's getting booed at WrestleMania. So your two main event title matches are Roman Reigns getting booed for beating Brock Lesnar, and Ronda Rousey getting booed for beating Alexa Bliss. I think that's a really interesting take, actually. Um, and one that I don't disagree with. I was, in fact, I was talking to my little brother today. Uh, he's a big MMA fan, not a wrestling fan. He's aware of it because he helps at our parties and I rabbit on about it. But big, big, big MMA fan. And he was asking me what I thought WWE would do with Ronda Rousey. And I do think they'll go down the, down the hero route for this one. And like you say, it might, you know, I'm not saying the fans will take it completely, but I think that's the way they're going to go. And there's no better person to put her against to get that reaction than Stephanie McMahon. I think it's the right way to go. I think it's a smart way to go, especially like you say, if the fans are not really accepting of her. Once Stephanie starts giving the shit, uh, giving it out, they'll, um, they'll suddenly start getting on Rousey's side, I'm sure. Very quickly after WrestleMania, though, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're going to see Rousey transition from that baby face into a heel. And I would say, I would go as far as to say, if they're patient and they build it right, after you've got that, I, again, I'm, I'm, I know I keep talking about it, but I really think it's the right way to go. The tag team match with Rousey against Steph and Triple H. After that's done this year, they should be straight away steaming towards and planning towards a heel Ronda Rousey against a face undefeated Asuka at Wrestlemania next year the night after Wrestlemania when Roman Reigns has beaten Brock Lesnar and so that the WWE champion is now Roman Reigns but potentially you know there's something else for uh, other people in other positions can you imagine if Paul Heyman walked out onto the stage and, and told <coughs> and told everyone to welcome my client Ronda Rousey. <laughs> I'm a Paul awesome. Heyman girl, says Ronda. How good would that be? I would has, put her with Heyman. I would, hasn't I, she already had that T-shirt? Yeah, I'm sure she has. I would put Ronda Rousey with Paul Heyman, and I just Heyman can do whatever Heyman wants to do. You open up a brand new world. Heyman can just... He can do all her talking for... Because here's the thing. I know she's an actress. I know she's a drawer in UFC. I thought her acting, if we can call it that, on Sunday, was poor. Oh. I thought her body language and the way she put it at the side or whatever looked very forced. Looked very over... You know, choreographed. Okay, maybe she was nervous. It was a big night for him, whatever. But I have heard her talking before and I don't see WWE promo. I have seen people such as, um, I'm trying to think of his name, what's the guy with the podcast, Charles Sonnen, um, and one or two others in the past where I've seen that, I've seen that they are. Um, what's the guy that got banned recently? The guy, uh, UFC guy got banned. Oh, for, John for, Jones. John Jones. I've seen him before and I thought there's a WWE thing to him, but not her. Not her, not the, not her style of talking. Nope. So I agree. She's, I, I was super poor. When you talk about her as an actress, she's about as good as an actress as I am a cricket player. Okay. Um, in that, you know, I can pick up a bat and I can swing it at a ball, but in no way would you say I'm a cricketer. Right. Um, she's she's a dreadful actress, and I think you're yeah, absolutely right. I think putting her with Heyman would solve so many problems. Um, would help her immensely in that department anyway, but also help her to 
develop a character that isn't just I'm I'm Ronda Rousey hear hear me roar you know it's um it's a great and idea and here here's what else I'm saying it opens up a future main event for any pay per view you want to do whether it's a B pay per view like a um, what else, well, what is there like a, a payback? Not a payback. What, yeah. what, what, what is well, there that's knocking? What's a? I can't think uh, of a B payback. Elimination Chamber. No, not even oh, that. No mercy. Yeah, one of those ones that's, that's got no theme and it's not a big one. It's just like you, you no knock mercy. it out. Yeah. Great balls, balls of champ. Great balls of fire. Okay, let's say let's say great balls of fire. That's a good example. So it could be one of those, or it could be um, as big as a SummerSlam or even a WrestleMania. But what about when Brock Lesnar teams up with Ronda Rousey? You know, Lesnar may not want to do that. Lesnar may want to do his own thing, but you could do you can do a year's worth of doing because I think you could cool Brock off. So Brock loses to Roman, let Brock have six eight months off, just let him disappear and let him go. You know, hunting on his farm in Nebraska or wherever he is, and just let him cool off for a little bit. And Paul can do all his work with Ronda, and he can get Ronda over, and he can do what he needs to with her. And then at some point. Maybe it's at SummerSlam, maybe it's at next year's Royal Rumble, maybe it's at WrestleMania, but you've got it in the in your locker, and I don't care who the two people are. But what about when you decide to go with Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey versus whoever? Shinsuke Nakamura and Asuka. Or <laughs> whatever. Hold me, Rob. Hold me. Whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like how Yes, yes. I know exactly you've got what you Anything saying. in your in or it could be AJ Styles and Charlotte, or it could be anyone you want to try and pick. <laughs> Maybe it's the winners of the mixed match challenge. No, I don't think so. But um, I'm serious. There is something you can do down the line um, between that. That's just that's box office. It just is. No doubt. Um, and I, I like to see different stuff. I like to see if you can take something on and and change it and mould it and tweak it and and do something that we've not seen before. And you have that opportunity with her. And I think. You know they need to be really crafty with it because the last thing they want to do is because the report said she's going to go full time with WWE. Well, she shouldn't because a that will show her up. You know she might she might I might not know know what she's like in the ring. She might be the new Trish and she might turn out to be really really good. I suspect she won't. I suspect but but I suspect that they'll have her work like Brock and have her work more MMA style wrestling matches as opposed to working wrestling matches and. If they do that, that's cool. But she shouldn't be around all the time if that's what she's doing. I, I sorry, mate. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. That's fine. Go, no, you finish. No, I was I was going to say that I suspect that the full time tag is a bit bit of a sort of um, a bit of a falsehood. I think she will be a pro wrestler full time, but I think the majority of that time will be spent training behind the scenes. I think when they say full time, I think what they mean is she is signed long term with the company. This is not a one and done deal. I think, no. I think that that's what they mean. It, Brock Lesnar it has a full-time WWE contract. They just happen to only use him for a certain amount of dates I, per year. I do think it'll be slightly different. Now. I expect that when we don't see her on screen, when you don't see Brock Lesnar on screen, he's up, like you say, on his farm, pulling that plough with his bare hands through that field. When you don't see Ronda Rousey on screen, I suspect she'll be in that performance centre every day. Yeah, fair dues. So, but, but, that's, but that's up to her. And that's, you know, that's not really, as a viewer, that I don't really care about that. Whether, she's, whether no. she's training eight hours a day or eight hours a year is not really of any of my concern. No, but that's what I mean. It's what, that's what I think. When she says full-time, I think that's the definition. Indeed. Um, I think it's a very, very interesting time. And for people like us that want to flap our gums across the airwaves and, and prognosticate about what's going to happen, 
um, I think that uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I honestly am very 50-50 about the success of it. I think she, I think she's going to struggle. I think the audience are not going to take to her. Um, and I hope to be proven wrong on the sense that she'll struggle. But it doesn't matter to me if they, uh, if they don't take to her, as long as they make the next step the correct one. Because, you know, we have seen the... Uh, the Cena Reigns model of nope, we're going to stay the course there's enough younger fans that buy the merch and cheer anyway, and we've also seen the other course where they've suddenly gone, uh oh, this isn't working, panic, back up, change and WWE do either or both um, it'll be very interesting to see what they do uh, with her, but they, they what they've managed to do with Brock over the time is that Brock is, you know, really the ultimate I hate the word tweener because what Tweener says to me is you're sort of in between and you're sort of a bit of neither. I think Brock is basically both. I think Brock is is all things to all men. I actually think that Cena is both as well. Because the things that rile the fans that don't like Cena, he does on purpose. So therefore, in my mind, Cena's a heel to those people. Mm-hmm. But to the but to the kids that see him as a hero, he displays those traits as well. So to, to, to them, he's a babyface. So I, I don't consider he, Cena a tweener. I'd basically consider him both a heel and a babyface. And I'd say the same about Brock. It just happens to be a completely different type of character. But it's more the fact that if you put Brock with someone who everyone likes, like AJ, we're going to cheer for AJ. But if you put Brock with someone everyone hates, uh, that they're supposed to hate, like, let's say, give me someone that everyone's supposed to hate, like, um, it's suddenly quite hard to think of someone. But like Kevin Owens, even though Kevin Owens is cheered by a certain section... You know, Brock would be the babyface because Kevin Owens is, is portrayed yeah. as a good as good as a good heel. So, um, I think that's the uh, that's the delineation to make. But you can plug in Brock wherever you want to, and they may end up doing that with Ronda. Is that they might just decide that on one hand, you know, we can just chuck her into this match, and it will just be a a match for a match's sake. In fact, there are probably quite a few of those wrestlers around these days. I think Samoa Joe sort of fits, fits that that side of things a little bit. They've not really made Joe an all-out, all balls-out heel, have they? No. He's more, he's more of a heel than a babyface, but aside from helping Triple H when he first came in, Joe's not done a lot of heel stuff. By the way, did you hear Joe's um, uh, additions to the um, panels and so forth this week? No, I didn't, actually. I've not seen any of it. He, I only saw some bits, but he was very, very good. And it made mm. me go, it made me go, there's a colour commentator there. Really? Oh yes, that's Taz. I saw Taz, but I but better. You know how they brought Taz in with high hopes, didn't really yeah, yeah. work. He had injuries, and inside a year he was the SmackDown commentator. I mean, I think Joe's got a lot more about him wrestling-wise, but Joe's forty or knocking or thereabouts. Um, he's had a lot of wear and tear on his body. Um, I'm saying that I see Joe in the announce booth within three years. Um, whether that's NXT, whether it's on SmackDown. But, I mean, I've always known that he's an intelligent man, he's well-spoken, but it never really occurred to me. But I now think we've got three or four... We should do this as a as a topic another week. Maybe it's a sheep quiz question. Um, <laughs> yes, I like it. There are suddenly three or four... Well, I think Kane would be a very good co-commentator. I think Miz would be a very good co-commentator. Um, I think there's a few of them out there now. If When they want to pack in, you can put them on the desk if they want to do that sort of job. Um just as a bit of a sidebar while we're on that topic what a way to make Jonathan Coachman seem like a good commentator by having everyone put up with Booker T (laughs) and so everyone's gone yay coach is back 
Only because <laughs> because it's not because it's not Booker T. I love the way that Corey went. Don't worry, you'll all be able to still see Booker T on the uh, pay per view panels. And we all went, oh, but we don't watch them anyway, mate. So it's uh, so it's okay. But uh, I uh, I don't I don't mind Coach. I've never really minded Coach, but I just thought it was uh, someone that people have always massively hated. Um, but because it's not Booker, then it's fine. Well, mate. I um we will, that's a great idea for a for a topic for later on discussion. I quite I'm quite interested to see who will become a good collar commentator. And like you say, it'll often be the people you least expect. I've always had this weird thing to think that you can't have big guys as color commentators because people you always hear about saying Big Show is going to be like it could be a great commentator when he finishes. And I just think, can you imagine Big Show behind the desk every single week? It would just look it would look too odd when you do those intros. I uh, see the problem with Big Show is Big Show has got. Because of his size, I'm not going to get all scientific about this because I don't know, but I get the feeling that Big Show's got quite a big epiglottis or something, that when you hear him talk, it sounds like he's got something in his mouth. I think, it'd be, I think his voice would be quite annoying, a bit like mine, but I think it would be quite annoying over a long period of time. So um, I'm aware of my nasal tone. Um, people are now going, yeah, Rob, it is. But um, I, I, I suspect that you might not get Big Show because of that. But Joe has got a really, really smooth sort of Californian... Is it Californian or is he Floridian? I forget which. But he's got uh, a real sort of... Californian. A really smooth way of talking. Because he has, he has a SoCal on his shirt, doesn't he? Yeah. He's got a really beautiful way of talking, I think. And it's a, it's one that I think they would really take to. I, I, I just... I'd never thought about it before. But as soon as I heard him talking, I thought this is... You know, this is a little bit of a eureka moment. Maybe even... It could have been something that he could have been doing while he was injured, you know, like like with Punk, they wanted to keep him on TV, so they put him in the announce booth. Um, they could have done that with uh, with Joe. I suggested that they should have done that with Rollins as well when Rollins was injured way back when. He would have been a really good addition. Mm. I wish they would change the commentary team more often and not necessarily have the same two, three people every week, but change it up. Like when you watch your your football matches on TV, it's not always the same two, is it? Sometimes you can. Quite. it is but anyway a topic for another day I think there's enough to talk about today without uh, going on to sidebars of commentary teams I would agree with that mate let's keep let's crack on through shall we where okay, do you want to well, go next let's let, let's take it back to the um, to the very start of the weekend I want to talk about NXT very quickly um, I am not a huge huge NXT guy what I mean by that is not that I don't like it I do I, I very much like it and I enjoy it whenever but I only have a certain amount of free time in my week and that uh, time basically does not include an hour necessarily to watch NXT every week. So I'm pretty much an NXT viewer on the big shows only. Um, I have a pal of mine that's well into NXT, so I generally talk to him before each show and he fills me in on what's been happening. But the good thing about NXT for, for a part-timer like me is that they keep everything so simple, and I mean that as a compliment, um, that it's quite easy to sort of dial back in uh, and understand the rivalries. They make excellent video packages to to fill you in on the right thing. So, for example, at the last NXT TakeOver, which I guess would have been around Survivor Series weekend, um, when they did the Velveteen Dream versus Alastair Black, um, yep. I didn't know anything about the feud, but they did enough in their video package to make me understand. So when it was all about uh, Alastair saying his name and that he said it post-match, it still meant something to me, even though I hadn't been watching the TV. So kudos to them for that. Um, so I just paint myself as that kind of NXT viewer. And I'm also kind of... I tend to find that you are someone that can be a little bit great or terrible. You'll often say to me, that was awful, that was amazing. Yes. And I'll, I'll almost always temper it and go, well, it was all right. 
So, so if you think it's terrible, I'll find the positives, and if you think it's amazing, I'll find a few negatives. And it's not because I'm doing it on purpose. It's just my typical sit on the fence um, sort of personality. But I tend to be someone where people go, oh, "This NXT show is the greatest," blah 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 blah, and I go, "Well, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. And that match was really good. But that was, you know, a bit this, and you know, let's not get carried away." With all that said, I think the NXT show from the Royal Rumble weekend might be my favourite NXT show ever. I uh, thought it was magnificent. I can't disagree with that, mate. I cannot disagree with that one bit. I thought every match had something where, you know, they told a story about the actual person involved. Um, you know, whether or whether that was from the the Velveteen Chris Hero stuff. Sorry, not Chris Hero, Cassius Ono stuff. Um, whether it was the uh, the tag match with um, just the way the Authors of Pain, I thought were slightly different in the way that they went about things because they had a different set of opponents I thought it showed that they were learning because this is the thing NXT is still learning folks so they should be facing different people and learning different ways of wrestling them and different types of character and all that and I thought they developed so many people really well on that night um, but most importantly I thought the main event between Almas and Gargano was uh, well it's the best match I've seen this year I mean it's only a month in but it's probably the best match I feel like I've seen in the last 12 months. Maybe I think it's the best match I've seen since um, since Cena versus Styles at last year's Rumble, and I include an amazing Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view. I enjoyed Andrade Cien Almas against Johnny Gargano more than I enjoyed any match on Wrestle Kingdom, and I loved Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I would concur with that definitely I've seen people and I don't agree with this but this goes to show what esteem people are holding this match in already I've seen people say that that's the best WWE match since you know pick one pick a match some people saying CM Punk against Cena in 2011 others saying the uh, Shawn Michaels take a match at 20, WrestleMania 25 I've even seen someone whose opinion I trust actually considerably he's not one for massive hyperbole Someone reckons it was the biggest, uh, sorry, the best WWE match they've seen since Stone Cold Steve Austin against Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13. Um, now that's that's a big bold statement, and I don't know be many people that will go that far. But if if that statement can even be made, it just shows you how good that match was, and it was it was fabulous. I must admit, I've long since stopped looking at NXT cards and and feeling like they're not for me and feeling like I'm not too excited about them because every time I do that they blow away my expectations and bring out a card uh, a show that just is so much better than the card on paper has any right to be so when I did look at this card I I sort of my first reaction was meh but then I went you know what they earn they've earned my trust they've long ago earned my trust so um i went in with some excitement and it was it was worth every second of it it was phenomenal from start to finish brilliant i would probably concur that it was my favorite nxt card of all time and that is in very very strong company some matches are matches that you can go back and watch over and over and over again and you can enjoy them because of how the match is put together um, others it's predicated on the um, the winners and the loser 
And I think that the, one of the big things about this one is that I had no clue who was going to win. I would throw the Royal Rumble in for that kind of thing as well, to say that I said that we had no clue. But once it got down to those final six, you know, you probably felt that Rey Mysterio wasn't going to be a returning winner, and you probably felt that Orton wasn't going to win twice in a row. But you wouldn't have been absolutely sure about those two things. But you certainly could have seen any. In fact, we left the podcast last week. We should pat ourselves on the back even more for this. On the podcast last week, we basically came down to, we would like to say um, Finn Balor or Shinsuke. Realistically, if you were playing it safe, you'd say Cena or Reigns. And that was the final four. So our top one, two, three, four Mm -hmm. were were the final four. And I suspect they did that on purpose, knowing that they were all credible winners. Um, And so you you then watch the last 10 to 15 minutes of that uh, that match not being certain who would win and then so when Shinsuke did throw Roman over the top you got that momentous moment um, whereas if you were absolutely certain say there was only one title match and you knew it was going to be Brock Roman and you knew Roman was going to have to win the Rumble you know then you just wouldn't have had that same you know gripping feeling because you knew who was going to win that being said if you didn't see NXT before the Rumble and you saw during the Rumble Andrade Almas come out with the belt so you therefore knew he'd won the night before if you're that person and you've subsequently watched the NXT match and you're saying to us, calm down, lads, the match was all right, you didn't see it, you know, flush. Now, I don't care yep. who wins. I don't have any, you know, I'm not cheering for Johnny Gargano or whatever, but I didn't know who was going to win, so they took me on a ride. And like the, like the very best, you know, thriller films where... See, I've never enjoyed films like a, like a Bond film or a, a Marvel sort of film. Because generally speaking, you know, 99.4% of the time, the good guy wins. Okay, it can take you on a story as you go along, but Bond isn't going to die. Spider-Man's not going to die. Um, you know, he's going to beat the big, the bad guy at the end. And I, he probably should do, because that's the Hollywood formula, but it doesn't engage me. I like a film where it gets to the end and you go, oh, hello, I didn't see that coming. Um, and it can leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger, or a little bit of a, you have to work out the rest of it yourself. You know, wrestling can't do that, but it, what it can do is it can take you right to the edge sometimes, you know, and you do not know which way it's going to go. And I think they've done a really nice job of quite a few pay per views over the last couple of years of getting to that point, and you're sitting there going, I don't know who's going to win. And that is the tiniest, if I'm going to be picky about Omega versus Jericho, which I love to bits, I always knew Kenny Omega was going to win that match. Because it just it makes yep. so, much, so much sense. That is not a knock on them. I'm not saying they could have done it any differently or better. We know the, we tend to know the ins and outs of the business in terms of the best thing to do. Knowing it was pretty much going to be a one and done, it made sense for Omega to go over Jericho. It's not a complaint. It is the right thing to do. It takes the tiniest, tiniest bit of gloss off the end of it. It was still a wonderful match. But what I'm saying is, is that this is a match where I felt, I thought it was going to, in fact, not only did I not know who was going to win, I thought it was going to finish about 15 minutes before it did. And it just kept on going and going and going, and it just totally sucked me in. And I have to—I I cannot be glowing enough about how much I enjoyed it because I just wasn't expecting to—I was expecting to like it, but I wasn't yeah. expecting anything like the level it was. And then, goodness me, after all that, you've got an angle. You know, out comes Champa at the end and does that, and so you've set up your next match already. And goodness me, what intricate, clever, high IQ booking! Um, to not only take your audience on that kind of match that had that respect that they would have had for Gargano and then hit him from behind so you've now got Gargano to tell that two redemption stories 
So you can now go another year. I mean, I, I don't think they'll hold on half that long without promoting him, but you could now go another year, basically, of having Gargano chase Ciampa and not be able to get hold of him, you know, lose a match because of cheating, then lose another match because of something else, and then finally he gets to the best of Ciampa, and then he can go after the title again. And you've got a year's worth of stuff that you can do with Johnny Gargano if you want to hold him back long enough. I suspect he's good enough that they'll probably try and, you know, he could be a night after WrestleMania job, possibly if they go straight to Ciampa versus Gargano at NXT. That's where Gargano gets his revenge. And then you promote him. Although I quite like the idea of promoting Gargano onto Raw the night after WrestleMania and have Ciampa promoted to Raw as well and, and, then, and then beat him up. And so you can just carry the feud on. Have they ever done that? Have they ever taken a feud from NXT to the main roster? Um, not off the top of my head. I mean, obviously they did Owens and Zayn, you know, on the NXT, and then they would have mentioned it yeah. you know, once they got promoted. But I'm saying in the middle of the angle... I I, you know, you I can... don't think they have. I don't. I, I can't really think of any occasion where they've done that. But it would be brilliant. And I honestly think, to be to be fair, that's the only way you can really bring those two up effectively is is with that springboard. Because I'd as good it. as Gargano is, and as good as Champa is, we know what it's like on Raw, and we know what it's like on SmackDown. It is not the same as NXT. And unless you're no. going to put them on 205 Live, I think they need that something. Like if you if Johnny Gargano just came out and wrestled. Tyler Breeze um, on a random episode of Smackdown you'd get a great match but really what would it matter if those two if those two came out with a ready made story and heat between the two of them already you're on you're, you're at the races already and it gives them an opportunity to, to get some character and build some momentum from day one I'm mate you're on fire tonight actually I think that's a pretty and and what I like tonight is you're coming out with a lot of ideas that I've not heard discussed elsewhere so I'm impressed do do, do you know what I I listen to far less um, in the way of podcasts and shows that I used to Um, not only because I don't have so much time but partly because I'd tend to find that they would come up with an idea and I'd go Oh, see, if I say that now, I look like I'm copying. So <laughs> I tend, I tend to listening and read way less than I used to, so I can, at the very least, be honest. If you know, if I say it and you go, yeah, I've heard Nelson say that, I can at least go, well, genuinely, I didn't know. Um, you know, if people want to believe me or not, then that's their own, uh, that's their own funeral. But um, those are just ideas that are, are coming to me as we, uh, as we go along. Um, I don't want to go too much into the depth of the whole show, but was them, um, was there anything else on the NXT show that? stood out to you oh yes 100% um, the the uh, Alistair Black and it was a Tyler Black then Alistair Black against Adam Cole match was one of the best hardcore street fight no rules matches I've seen in a long time loved all the little quotes you know what you talked earlier about the Royal Rumble having lots of different booking moments that added up to a whole I would say the same about this match there was no real over reliance on one big spot you got the you got that fairly dreadful bit actually where Adam Cole went back first onto the two back of the chairs and you got the nice bump where Black went through the two tables on the outside but to me this was more about story and build and I thought it was so incredibly done I loved the way that at first Black refused to use any weapons presumably you know his hands were lethal weapons Um, and then it sort of built and built and Cole was really going to the well with weapons every single time he could they got reactions every time they brought something out then you got the inevitable um, 
the inevitable interference from the undisputed era um countered by the guys from sanity and i added to it i just i just thought it was a really well told match um that they didn't have they weren't over allowed on gimmicks it was a proper wrestling match that used the stipulation was hard hitting and both guys came out of it looking fantastic i've not been impressed with adam cole i've never been a massive adam cole fan um when I've seen him on the indies and certainly not before in NXT but I thought that match was phenomenal it was good really was enjoyed good. it I, I see Adam Cole as a, as a Ziggler not only does he look like him you know facially I see him as being that you know ne- that kind of wrestler but I actually think I prefer Dolph a bit more um, I don't like hardcore matches call them what you will um, they're not really for me generally speaking um, but two things one you're right they crafted it well enough that they brought the weapons into the story so it didn't make it just a plunder fest um, but two and I think you know just as importantly uh, I think it was a little bit of a nod to the to the crowd um, I think they went we're in Philadelphia we'll have an extreme rules and that's what they called it didn't they yes they called it extreme rules they didn't call it a hardcore match or a street fight that's true they called it extreme rules they knew where they were um, and I think they just did a little you know tip of the cap to being in Philadelphia um, so I don't blame them for that that's quite smart especially if you're booking the, the same arena for four nights running or whatever it was they were doing so um, you want to keep the fans sweet and uh, and I think they did so so um, yep yeah, I would agree I'm not going to go into you know mega detail with that one not my favourite match ever but it was you know I thought it was a, a commendable one it was in a good place on the card I'm really high on Black I, I, I like him a lot I think he's got a real upside I think he looks like someone to me that you know you're, you're Adam Cole is someone that could get lost on the main roster. He might be fortunate that he's got a little bit of backup with him. You, it's easier to tell the story with a group of three guys than it is for one. Um, but yeah, but I do share your fear about Gargano and Ciampa where, you know, you need to really go... It feels that they could get called up, do their thing, and then get completely forgotten about. Yeah. Whereas, I think Black is someone that you really, really could do something with. I think he's a, he's got everything that that people saw in Corbin and more. He's a better talker. He looks tougher. Um, he's a better wrestler. Um, I, I just think, I think he's got a lot going for him, Alistair Black. And I also, here's the thing. People may not know this necessarily if you get caught into a bit of a UK or a North American bubble, but um, Tommy Enders from Holland, um, which is not necessarily, you know, known as a, a wrestling hotbed, nope. but Europe, generally speaking, Europe, is, is WWE is big pretty much all over Europe. They just might not have any wrestlers from those places. But in Germany in particular, I'm not certainly not saying that Germany and Holland are the same place. Don't get me um, into that one. But you know, Germany, for example, is a huge WWE country. But all over Europe, you know, they love it. Go back to how many Italian wrestlers have you ever seen? I mean, genuinely from Italy wrestlers, no one. But when they went and did that thing with um, Santino, you know, the whole Milan miracle how big was that crowd that night in Milan yep. for, for their first ever Raw taping in Italy and they've never had an Italian wrestler um, so exploiting Europe you know to have Cesaro you know obviously from Switzerland I think we noted it during the Raw Rumble about how many just how many different nations there were that were in the Rumble at one point you had about seven or eight different nations in the Rumble at the oh, same yeah. time from from Japan Canada USA Mexico Switzerland Ireland UK um, you know, um, where's Rusev from? Bulgaria. You know, there was there was such a range of people that were in it, and I think that's a real big thing to a be 
saleable around the world. You know that, Paul, about mm-hmm. you know, TNA trying to get into India by having Indian wrestlers on their roster, and, and same with you know the UK guys. Um, you know, no coincidence. I think that uh, India, have, you know, has been a market for both WWE and TNA in recent years. Apologies, I keep calling it TNA, and it should be Impact Wrestling, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but they've just announced Impact Wrestling that they're going to bring up a, a whole roster, a whole faction called the Desi Hit Squad, I think they're called, um, because they know that they're after that uh, sort of Indian subcontinent um, uh, audience. Yep. So it's notable. So I just, I just think Alistair Black is one of those ones that's got so many upsides to him um, that I, th- I feel he could be really, really useful to them. Yeah, I think you're right. And Holland has always been a black spot um, for wrestling in Europe. You're absolutely right. The, the, when I used to take a lot of interest in which nations were into WWE, which nations that were broadcasting. And when I was working on TNA back in the day, the two most notable blind spots for WWE were, in fact, uh, Benilux, um, specifically Holland, really, and uh, Scandinavia. And um, they never really did get any traction. There's been a few live events in Rotterdam, and I do wonder why it's Rotterdam rather than Amsterdam. I wonder if there's some geography in it. But um, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, they don't still have TV there. Could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've paid close attention. But I don't think so. So, yeah, it, it could easily be a case of Alistair Black knocking down a the door there. You know, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that for a second. The other... Just, just, sorry, go on. I, I was, I'm saying just... A gen, it's a general European thing. The more Europeans you can have... Um, the more that Europe catches on, maybe because yeah. we may be in the uh, in the pre-Brexit stage, folks. But the rest of Europe quite likes being in Europe, um, and so they see it as a bit more of a collective than actually we do in this country. So maybe I think more European wrestlers the better for for that perspective. The the other guy I like to sort of bring slight attention to on that NXT card, and we we spotlighted him last time we had this takeover conversation. But I want to talk about a different aspect of what I saw last last, last weekend, Velveteen Dream. Mm-hmm. Okay. This guy's a star, right? Yeah, he is. If I, if you had to, give, if you gave me five hundred pounds now and told me to put my money on someone in NXT who will be the most successful over their career, my money goes on him. Um, and it isn't even a, a thought I have to put too much too much time into. Um, he's going to be immense. Now, the one thing that I want to spotlight this time was just how interesting how he moves and blends his character depending on who he's facing and what the feud is so when he was against Alistair Black last time out the feud was all about getting under his skin using those mind games that sexuality to try and wind him up for want of a better phrase so he comes out of takeover with Trunks homaging ravishing Rick Rude which is exactly the sort of mind games he used to play on his opponents or very similar brilliant okay the feud, the feud with Cassius Ono is all about knocking people out, all about dropping those bombs, you know, making like they both actively talked about knocking each other out. Cassius Ono comes out in boxing shorts, completely different attire. Like you know, it's not even just like like a wrestler used you don't to. Mean, you don't mean Ono. You don't mean Ono, do you? You mean Velveteen? Sorry, I do mean Velveteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do exactly. So it wasn't even a case of putting different colouring or patterns on an existing thing. He had a completely different outfit, and I know that's quite superficial, but it really speaks to me that either he or someone advising him is really making an effort to make him stand out from the pack. And if he themes his feuds all the time and. Th- themes how his character is and what he wears based on the theme of that feud 
that can only make him even better. I just thought it was I just thought it was something that I really I noticed. I've never seen before, really, that I could think of, and I just thought it was a really important point to highlight. I think he's gonna be a monster star. Love the point. Love the love the analysis. Um I'll take it a step further and say that um uh Okay, when I was at school, I remember I had a media studies teacher, and she did. She wore one day. Uh, do you know the Superman shirt? You know, you can just wear an ordinary T-shirt that looks like a Superman shirt. Oh yes, jersey. yeah, yeah. Well, she had a Superman shirt on, except rather than an S for Superman, it had uh, the the female symbol. You know what I'm saying with the, yeah, the yeah. circle and the yeah, right, okay. Um, and so she said to us, it was a kind of we were talking about iconography and that sort of thing, symbolism. Um, and she said, what does that make you think of? You know, people said, you know, um, you know, confidence, feminism, um, you know, you know, all, all various different sort of bits that um, that you would say about being a strong, confident, independent woman, sort of thing. Is you're, you're very, you know, strong-minded, all this kind of thing, superwoman. And eventually, someone said it. Someone went lesbian, and the teacher went mad. And that was like, I think she contrived it to go mad. But she was basically saying, it's blatantly unfair that you call someone a lesbian just because they wear a, a woman's shirt, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I'm not getting into that, but I'm, I'm giving you an example of sometimes you can't help but go to a certain place in your mind when you see a certain piece of symbolism. The fact that Velveteen Dream got to near the ring and there was an attractive woman and an attractive man stood there, they didn't even need to say anything, but they were, they were saying, this character is bisexual. Mm-hmm. Now, when Orlando Jordan was doing it, he had them basically rolling around all over him, and he was poor. This is in TNA. Yes. I didn't see it. Um, but it was pretty objectionable, and he was literally pouring cream all over himself, and it was like, oh, what are you doing? They were making the fact that he was bisexual into his character, and I thought it was really a bad thing to do. What they're doing with Velveteen Dream is they're making the character interesting and they're using an implied bisexuality as a little extra part to the character. And I think that's fine. I think that's fair game. I think that's 21st century. I think they are not saying one way or another this makes him a bad guy, it makes him a good guy. Throughout wrestling history, you've had an effeminate character play a heel. And, you know, up until Goldust... That was very much the thing. The effeminate character played the heel. Gold just changed the game a little bit. But still you would get this, the same old shouts, and I won't say the word, but you would hear the crowd saying something which you know you would certainly deem is inappropriate in the 21st century context. So anytime you go to a little bit of a different sexuality, it's a very, very tricky thing to do. But if they are doing what I think they're doing, which is tr- implied undertones of bisexuality to give the character a different layer, I'm okay with it. So I don't think it's his, it's not his weapon, you know. He's not trying to, you know, go to the wrestlers' homophobia. He's just, you're, he's trying to say this is what who I am. This is no, he may or may not be in real life. It doesn't matter who he is in real life. That's irrelevant. I'm talking about the character of the Velveteen Dream. It's playing with your mind a little bit. And so to to go into what your point was, which is adjusting their mentality for the opponent, the fact that the let's say, scantily clad, muscled up fella, had a little fluffy pillow with a mouth guard in it, I thought was one of my favourite things of the entire weekend. I just thought, there is so many little things that are implied in that. That, you know, he's tough enough that he's going to knock someone out, and he's a real fighter, so he needs a mouth guard, but it's on a fluffy pillow. It was just... 
is almost too much to cope with and I just really like that I just I just thought it was something totally different like you said and it, it really stood out if he starts going too blatant and sometimes WWE can't be go with subtle then it all gets lost in the face. as soon as they start stopping that it, as you say it's lost but at this moment in time where things are subtly suggested and implied or less implied by them and more inferred by the audience then I think it adds that little extra level am I right in saying that he's really young yeah, he's tw- is he 23 something yeah. like that he's got and he, and he really does scream to me he could be the vanguard of a, of a of a genuine new generation I'd love it if WWE's characters could just get more 21st century more nuanced you know more you know just smarter basically yeah. um, I, w- I was I was thinking of a thought in the car today and I, I wasn't going to bring this up on the podcast now. I was going to actually try to engineer a discussion in a couple of weeks where I could showcase it because I, I, I don't know it's just a thought seems to be, but it does kind of lead in here I was thinking about Alexa Bliss okay and Alexa Bliss will you know I've long said how much I how much I think of her as a wrestler how much I think of her as a character as a as a uh, as an actor especially her facial expression I think it's fantastic inevitably she's going to become a face and what I was thinking about is how she gets there without it seeming contrived without losing what's the best of her and it occurred to me that when you look at Bliss's character and when you look at her on Total Divas she's clearly a bitch and an ice queen as a character but at the same time even as a heel there's an innocent little girl under that character and you can tell that is there I would love to see something and I don't know how you'd do it but something to play out whereby it came out she confessed she broke down whatever someone got it out of her maybe a friendship with a, uh, Nia Jax or a friendship with a Braun Strowman or something I don't know it came out that the reason she was such a bitch and the reason she had this sense of bravado that bellied her size and bellied her abilities conceivably was that she was scared was that she you know she's got a history as a well documented history of anorexia of being bullied she thought the only way to get ahead was to put on this front of being this bitch and in reality she hated herself for it and she was really a sweet innocent nice girl but she put on this front to protect herself and if they could show a way to see that breaking down and her confessing that and it her realizing that she didn't have to have that to be successful how awesome would that be for a face turn i think how you could do it I've, I've thought immediately i've never thought about this before you've not brought this up to me but um the first thing that i think of is william regal got saddled with eugene um and i mean this in the storyline yeah. eric bischoff had his annoying uh, nephew um not going any deeper into the Eugene character, you can all make your own, you know, assumptions about that. But um, he was a babyface because he was lovable to the audience. Um, Eric found him uh, an embarrassment, and he palmed him off onto Regal, who hated it. Eventually, Regal kind of became his protector, and Regal stood up for him. And Regal essentially turned babyface, yep, because he was a supporter of Eugene. You could do that with Alexa, and you could bring someone up. You know, either from NXT. I'm trying to think of an NXT. Someone you could do it with now. Maybe Kari Sane, and you could bring her up and say, you know, have a general manager say to Alexa, "Look, 
I need someone to look after her. She doesn't speak English. Um, you know, help her settle in, or, or some such thing like that. I keep tagging her with her, and so to begin with, Alexa's absolutely fed up of her. Um, you know, and trying to ditch her and walking out of matches and stuff. But eventually, there's a bit of like a maybe that the riot squad or um, um, what's Paige's group called? Um, ab- absolution or something like that. Absolute absolution. Yeah. Like one of those groups, you know, beats up Kari and. Alexa kind of feels a bit sorry for her, but lets her get beaten up, and then the following week does something about it, and just I don't know. There's just there's, there's a way that you could you could sort of build that sort of friendship, or um, you know, have a drag those feelings out of her, rather than having like the, the, the friendship thing with Naya is like well, Naya's just massive and she can protect her. That's that's Sean and Diesel. Um, whereas I like the I call I, if you're going to try and do your idea, I quite like the idea of getting some real feelings out of Alexa by having her, you know, have someone that she, she is friends with that she feels protective of over a period of time. Mm. The other the other way to do it, of course, is that I still think one of the underrated you know, storylines of the early 2000s was, I really liked Jericho and Christian and their bet on yeah. Christian Lita. Um, which, to begin with, was two heels... Um, you know, betting on who could score. I think it was, was it over one Canadian dollar or something. Yes, that's right. And eventually, you know, Jericho sort of fell for Trish. And Jericho turned babyface based off of him being a bit of a hero and trying to help Trish out, whereas Christian was always clearly being underhanded. And then, of course, well, Swerve, Trish is with, with, with Christian. Now, you can argue the, the merits of how well that went, because basically that stopped almost immediately after WrestleMania. But um, it worked in terms of steadily turning Jericho babyface. So perhaps there's some sort of you know way that you can put Alexa with a, a fella on the on the roster that is particularly um, heroic to the audience, and you know it would mean something if they were together. You know, because they actually don't do that very often anymore. Have the kind of um, the relationship angle. No. Nope. You know, as opposed to like a you know, Miz brings his wife out or or something like that or something or something tends to happen in real life and then eventually they go oh we're going to have to accept you know ad- admit that Cena and Nikki Bella are together um but they don't they don't often go with the um you know the sort of on on screen relationship angle now sometimes it doesn't work see Maurice and Ted DiBiase um or Stacey Keebler and Test although I think that was a real life one that they tried on screen that's right yeah. um but every now and again they've had a success with it so maybe just maybe you could have you know, Alexa being the bitch on the women's roster, but kind of falling for, you know, a male baby face, and and he sort of, you know, takes her takes her on, and Eliza Doolittle's her a little bit, and makes her a baby face. I don't know. I'm just freestyling with ideas because yeah, yeah. you brought it up, but I think it's doable. I think she's got the thing she's got going for her is that she's little. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just pure and simple. The smaller you are, the more chance realistic you are of being a babyface. You know, yep. you can't ever imagine Rey Mysterio being a heel, can you? And it's like you just—I think there's certain characters where, you know, obviously Daniel Bryan had his stint being a heel, but generally speaking, unless you're going to be unless you're going to be little and obnoxious, um, and we'll talk about the new Raw, uh, sort of the new 205 Live general manager in a second. Um, unless you're going to be really little and obnoxious, which is what Alexa is, it's quite. It's quite hard, especially in matches. Like if you watch, if you had a Charlotte versus Alexa match, 
it'd be quite hard not to cheer for Alexa because clearly she should get battered by this, you know, six foot one specimen, shouldn't she? And so you kind of go naturally in in the same way that if you watch Manchester City versus Swindon in the FA Cup, it's almost impossible to not want the League Two side to do well. True. And I just think it's a natural, you know, everyone likes an underdog kind of story. But you know, I don't. I didn't think on this podcast in this busy week of all weeks that we'd end up doing, you know, what we do with uh, Alexa Bliss going forward <laughs> and, and how we bring Johnny Gargano onto the no, main roster. No, nor did I. So. But what the hell, eh? It's, t- it's turned into some fun. I am going to drag ourselves back onto track because we've been going for, you know, over an hour now, and we haven't really got to the Royal Rumble yet. No. And there are there are still are there still are other topics. But so okay, so Royal Rumble pay per view itself, other than the Rumble matches, you know, give me your one headline. Other than the Rumble what? matches, um, <sighs> ah. Right, okay. Um, other than the Rumble matches, I was most impressed, actually, um, with the handicap match. Okay. Which shouldn't be a surprise based on the participants, but I was convinced this match would be more angle than match. So it was pleasantly surprising to see that they, we actually did get a match. And all right, we got a, a screwy finish, in inverted commas, but it was a really well-done screwy finish, actually, in that really... Yeah, the the heels were right, but come on, they weren't really right, were they? It was just a couple of inches off a tag. Um, but I love the fact that they had a valid point. I love the fact that AJ beat them clean. Um, I thought it was a really entertaining, decent way to open the show as well. I thought it was great. I thought the tag team matches, if I'm honest, disappointed me slightly. Um, I had really, really high hopes for the Usos against um, Gable and Benjamin. And it was a good match, but it wasn't a great match. I like that it finished in two falls. It, um, yeah, that was nice. It's, it's a nice touch. It keeps you on your toes for future matches. Um, and it's realistic. Um, one thing I want to talk about next week, and I'm, I'm absolutely not going to get into it now, but I want to talk tag teams. I'm of the opinion that the Usos have smashed themselves into the best 10 WWE tag teams of all times. All time, even. Um, top five. Top five all time. Top ten for me. But... They're only thir- you've not been you've not been keeping up. I with have, I have, but I'm not going to be. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm um, I'm in the opinion they're in the, in the top ten already, and they're only 32. Remarkably, considering how long they've been in WWE, they're only 32. Both of them. Funnily enough, yeah, they're both randomly they both got the same birthday. That's amazing. Incredible, isn't it? Um, and do you know what? The, do you know the extra spooky thing is? Is that their birthday is on Rusev Day. <laughs> Happy Rusev Day, Rob. <laughs> we should start every yes. podcast with our future. Um, that'll get annoying quickly. <laughs> we did. We wished. We wished everyone Happy Rusev Day on uh, on Sunday and the uh, the Clapham Ground. I enjoyed that because I got to. Not only did I get to wish them, I got to sing. A bit. That was my favourite bit. Um, yeah. So I I want to talk about that next week. I think they're utterly, utterly, utterly incredible. Um, but yeah, that match was not as good as I thought it might be. The triple threat match. Um, no, it was what it was, wasn't it? It was a placeholder for Les. It was a placeholder for Lesnar. It was a way to have Strowman in, Strowman in the title match, and it was a way for him not to take the fall. Simple as that. Uh, uh, and it was also a way to not have him lose the Royal Rumble. There's also that to factor in good as well. Good. Strowman would be a major favourite in the Rumble. I know you can do that whole everyone gangs up and throws him out thing, but shouldn't we do baby face though? Really, should you? If you have Strowman in the Rumble. You know, and he doesn't win, then 
you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a knock on him, isn't it? So I thought it made sense all the way around. Um, I felt for Rollins and Sheamus and Cesaro and, and Jordan because they were simply put into that position where they nothing could have followed that run. No, no, no. Um, so I thought it was very sensible if you were going to have that type of match. That was a raw angle, wasn't it? Yes. That wasn't a pay-per-view match. It was a raw angle. Um, but I, that's not a criticism. Um, it is very, very hard to fill time between rumbles if you're going to do the two of them and to have you know, the, the men's Royal Rumble go on an hour into the show. I can't imagine it's ever been that early before. Um, the only one I can think of is when Ray won. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think there might have been two title matches. There were indeed, because I watched it just the other day. There were. So it was, it was similar. So, so that might have been the uh, mm-hmm. the equivalent. But um, Okay, let's talk men's Rumble. Um, when the announcement came on, we're going to do the men's Rumble next, the room went well Rousey's going to win the women's yep and so uh, partially right she ended the night um, but one of the other suggestions knocking around the room was maybe this means that Roman's going to win so that they don't have the going off the air booing Roman but we can put him in the middle get the booing out of the way uh, and then come back later on with something else that takes your mind off it so I think it actually by being earlier in the show I think heightened the fact that Roman Reigns could win the Rumble or that John Cena could win the Rumble um, because of this double, triple, quadruple bluff thing we have in our minds with how WWE work. On a slightly other point, um, note how Asuka was incredibly dominant on Monday and we sort of went, well, she's not winning the Rumble then because she was so dominant and then she won anyway. Yep. So this whole thing of you know whoever's got the upper hand on the Monday before the pay-per-view never wins at the pay-per-view I'm saying it's a little bit like if you've got a green car you suddenly start noticing other green cars that you didn't notice before but um, if you are looking for something you'll tend to find it more so I think if you're looking for oh, the amount of times that someone switches and it doesn't, you don't think they're going to win and then they do win um, I think it's a bit of a myth or like a, like a goalkeeper kicking the ball from the other side of his six-yard box at the end of the game to waste time where actually <laughs> in the first five minutes and no one noticed at all Um but yes, I thought that um, the very fact that it was on earlier in the show changed the dynamics. Um, but the first thing that I noticed during the actual event itself, um, where I went, that's a brilliant, brilliant use of someone that I would never would have thought of, was that Baron Corbin, and I'm not a big Baron Corbin fan, but it's irrelevant whether I'm a fan or not. Baron Corbin was more over after the Royal Rumble than when he went in. Yep. And that is that is the objective of pretty much everybody. You should be trying to do that with you know, most of the people that you have in. Some people are inevitable casualties, um, but some people, you know, most people should be going into the Rumble having their character furthered one way or another uh, and then being better off. What was he in for? A minute and 20 seconds? Uh, Something like that. But he smashed up Bala, he smashed up Rusev, and then he smashed up um, Slater on the way out. He did a real sore loser act. You wanted to hate him because he was ruining our Royal Rumble. Um... But at the same time, you'd already completely forgotten about the fact that he'd been tossed off in, you know, a minute. Um, I thought it was fabulous work in what they did with with Corbin. Just perfect. Yep, agreed. I thought it was uh, a really good, strong booking point. Now, what I'll say before we kick into this, Pat Patterson's famous, isn't he, for booking Royal Rumbles? Now, um, either he's back and had some influence on this... Or he's got a protege that is suddenly proving himself. Because this, like you said earlier, there has not been... You, you can talk about the match quality all you want, but there hasn't been a better book rumble than this 
ever. There were so, really so many layers. They've been overly cute with it. Sometimes I think they've overbooked Rumble. Yeah, they've been, definitely. They've been overly cute, and every single entrant has to come in with some sort of choreographed entrance with someone, and then it's a finisher, and it's a reverse of a finisher, and then it's something else, and then this happens. And then there's this, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. And then there's an interference, and then there's an eliminate. And it's, well, sometimes you could just be in the ring fighting and just have a four minutes where they're just yeah. trying to eliminate each other and then have a spot. Or then you've had, you know, someone getting carried out and, you know, other people, you know, taking someone's spot. And it, you could just have too much of it. But I felt that it was heavily booked and not just allowed to carry on, but done in just about enough of a way that it made sense and it continually flowed. And frankly, it was entertaining. This is the point. Is It needs to be entertaining because you've got an hour's worth of, you know, no matches go an hour. You know, we're talking about how long Almas and Gargano was. Mm. It was about thirty-five. It was about thirty-five minutes. You know, the Rumble's twice that size, and it's just the nature of the Rumble that we love it so much, and we sit through it and we we assess it differently. But essentially, it's an hour-long, hour and ten-minute-long match. I I just thought it was excellent, and I'm I am reading. I will say before I start going through this, I'm reading this from the results, so to remind me. But you talk about Baron Corbin and how he beat down everybody. He was the guy that started one of my favourite comedy angles yep. I've ever seen in a Royal Rumble. The perpetual heel beating of Heath Slater. Uh, not just heel, just everyone. Well, everyone that well came down. they were all heels that did it except Big E, who didn't beat him up. He stuffed a pancake in his face. So <laughs> that, still, was that was still, so, still just the same thing to me. All, but, um, in a special way, you had Elias come down who just dismissively kicked him out of the way. <laughs> really sort of like dirt on his shoe. Almas came down then and did similar. Bray Wyatt hits him big time. Sami Zayn does the same. And then you get to Sheamus, who... Uh... <laughs> well, if I may, let me just take Elias first because... Um, we were discussing, I think, last week on the podcast who would be one and two. Um, not sure if we said him. Can't exactly remember what we said. But certainly on the night, someone said to me who would be one and two. And I said Elias because I said he would he would need a long enough time yeah. to play his guitar and get himself over. So when he wasn't one or two, you know, I wasn't really sure. But of course, they managed to do a bit where they had people lying around selling and no one in the ring. And at that point, I went, ah, Elias. And then his music hit. And I was like, I, you know, I, I called that one 15 seconds before it happened. Yeah. Um, had I been, unfortunately, if you heard us talk last week about uh. playing our little um, betting game on the Royal Rumble, Paul and I were not in close enough vicinity to each other at the time and we couldn't engineer it to actually play it. Although I believe Paul rinsed his mate for quite a lot of money. <laughs> but I don't know how soon up until the... The, the countdown that you can call the next entrant in that game, but I would have I would have been very 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 confident in taking money off you with Elias. Um, when that came up, that was a real oh this is going to be Elias, and I and I, you know, I knew that moment, and it was that was really well. Just little things like that, but that you need to back off because you need to give someone their entrance, and they cleared the ring so that Elias could do his entrance, and yep. it was just just lovely. Not not one of the greatest rumble moments of all time but just just a lovely little addition yep agreed um, and then like I say um, oh, number 10 with Ty Dillinger getting 10 again and then obviously getting 
that was the best bit about the game that we're talking about there mate we uh harry called ty dillinger for number 10 and then his music hits and he's celebrating that he's won the first pot of money and then lo and behold he doesn't turn up and then i finally won the money on john cena at number 20 <laughs> he, so built up and built up to number 20 he got so. done he got done 20 quid i took sure. off him and then i beat him for randy orton again at number 24 and he refused to carry on playing after that <laughs> oh. So, um, yes, it's a Seamus' elimination. Big thumbs up. Was that the shortest time ever in the Royal Rumble? I don't think they brought it up, but it felt like it was to me. I have seen, I have seen something online that suggested that he goes in at three behind Santino, the Warlord, and then it would be Seamus. Okay, okay. Well, it would be, um, be a photo finish if that's the case. Yeah, and I would imagine there would be a Bushwhacker in there that would be quite... That Bushwhacker wasn't that short. Like, he won't, he, they marched him at medium pace all the way across the ring. He doesn't even compare to the three you've just mentioned. Do you know who was quick? I'll tell you who was quick one year. Mo. Oh, really? What year was that? Was that 95? I wouldn't even know. Sir Mo. Well, probably still Mo of Men on the Mission when they were babyface at the time. I think it was 95. He charged across the ring and got back dropped out. Um, that was about two or three seconds. But anyway. Anyway, I can't remember that at all. Um, anyway. On from now. But Slater, the fact that he got that moment, he wasn't just the... No. You know, there, there have been people in the past that have been the uh, the punch bag. I seem to remember Scotty Too Hotty several times was you know on his way to the ring and got beaten up by you know Undertaker or someone. Um, but this was he had a moment. You know he got slung quite quickly afterwards, but he had a moment. And Sheamus, it was you know at the time I thought oh that's a bit of a you know a big guy to have to do that to. And then I thought actually no it's perfect. Perfect guy. Because Sheamus is over in his team, he's over because of his look, he's over because of his history. Um, so yeah, he can take it. If Slater had done that to uh, Finn Balor, then it kills Finn Balor, it makes him look a fool. But you can do it to Sheamus because he looks like a bloody idiot. And he's, <laughs> and he's over co- you know, overconfident, over cocky. Yeah. It worked really, really well. I, um, and, and that's what I mean by the great booking because like you say, in previous rumbles, you might have had a guy like Slade to take a few beats and then just get tossed without any sort of follow-up to it. If you get take a guy that gets hit that many times, he's taking that many pratfalls, there has to be a punchline. And if there was no, if there had been no punchline, it would have just fallen flat. It would have been mean. But the hero, the the good guy, got his moment. And yeah, he got tossed straight afterwards. It had a punchline. He had a finite ending. It was brilliantly done. A great, did they great do a, rumble. Joke. Did they do a moment? Was it last year's rumble? They did a moment with Ellsworth, where he was getting knocked by people, or he was getting frightened to run into the ring. And Dean Ambrose sort of did okay. We'll go on three, one, two, three, and just tossed him. Ambrose stopped, and Ellsworth ran in, and then got yeah. beaten up. I think. It was a cutesy little moment, but I just thought it made Ambrose look cruel. Yeah, that's and, exactly it. And it, it was the characterisation was wrong. You know, Ellsworth should have been getting a comeuppance, but actually you felt sorry for him. Whereas this was the opposite. This was, you know, you were, you were getting the heat on everyone that was attacking. As you say, mostly heels, you know, attacking Heath, so you were getting the heat on them. And then so he then got his moment, and that's really all he was after. You know. Yep. He again in that one minute or one minute being in I don't even remember who eliminated him but the, he got more of a moment in the Royal Rumble than say that that last match that Punk had where he came in at like three or something and then it was there until right at the end he did nothing in that Rumble no 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 he survived survived 50 minutes laying under the ropes got a concussion and then got eliminated by Kane you know from the outside 
it was there was no real moment for no. them. That's just what I'm what I'm picking on because I just thought there's been lots more than that. Just I'm not picking on Punk. Um, but he Slater had a moment, and Baron Corbin had a moment. Most did. Like you just said, Most did. Big Biggie and all of the New Day had a moment because they not only did they do the the co- some people don't like the Kofi thing because it's a bit cutesy, but I thought it was very funny, and I, I very much I very much in, enjoyed Xavier Woods yes. to say. You know, I'm I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it for you. You you can still do this. It was like the the fallen soldier on the absolutely you know, on on the Somme. You know, saying to his comrade, "No, no, you carry on. Just leave me. I'm done for. Leave me." <laughs> I don't normally like the Kofi Kingston. I think it's contrived and nonsense. But this one really showed the new like the new day in an interesting way. Like you say, Xavier Woods is the MVP of that team. Because it could it could have been like he did it the other year, didn't he? Where he just fell onto Biggie's shoulders or into his arms or something like that. That's fine and all right, but it was the way Xavier reacted to this that put it over the top for me. I thought it was wonderful. Um, he, I thought it, it killed Naomi Stone dead because she did one later on, didn't she? By hanging onto the yes, it, um, onto the side and then going on the chair. But that was. It all felt derivative, and then she got slung anyway. I thought that was—I thought hers was a step too far. Yeah. If it had been—if it had been the only one in the night, you might have gone, yeah, fine. But a, Kofi had already done it, and b, she sort of redid one that he did with the sort of using the chair. That's true. And so, I, I thought that hers was a bit too cutesy, but I would forgive the Kofi one. Yep, agreed. Um, the next bit in this section of the rumble I want to mention. So, sorry, can I just—can I just say? Sorry, yeah, sorry, on, mate. I beg your pardon. Since we were talking about the new day, um. Jinder Mahal eliminated two of the New Day. Yep. And it's very easy to go, okay, we've had our Jinder era, we've had him beaten for the title belt, let's get rid of him. Um, but there is a reason why he won that title belt, and we were talking about it earlier on in the show, about demographics in different countries. To just kill him stone dead and send him right back to the bottom would be harsh. And so the fact that he got to eliminate two people straight up, I thought was a reasonable moment for him. You know, it just keeps a little bit more of a... You know, don't forget about me. I'm still a bit of a badass kind of, you know, element of him. I'm not saying I want him anywhere near the top of the booking. I don't see him having his own match for WrestleMania, but I'm just saying that don't factor out the fact that he got a couple of eliminations. It wouldn't shock me if there was some way of doing Jinder plus one against the New Day in some sort of feud. Uh, yeah, I would. I, I think there's probably something in that for sure. Okay, what was you going to say? Um, No, what I was going to say, well, oh yes, the little moment where Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt started working together and there was just such a frisson of excitement um, for such a short moment that you thought, oh my God, they're going to actually really bond over this and become a team over their collective mentalness and realise that they're actually more powerful together than they are apart. And then they just started wailing on each other and threw each other over the top rope. I thought it was really good. Didn't like at all the, the fact they had a clean finish on Raw 25, but I think they resurrected the feud with those few moments on there. The, the look in both of their eyes when they realised how powerful they were together. I think they really added a layer to the feud that could be interesting going forward. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It reminded me a little bit like... Um, I've never had pets, really, but I've certainly seen before where two cats don't get on but one of them catches a mouse and sort of nudges it towards the other one as if to say alright me and you might not like each other but at least we're not bloody mice <laughs> do you know and that's what kind of it felt when Bray threw the guy to who was it I can't remember who he threw I can't remember. but he threw someone into Matt and Matt did the side effect and that to me was like Bray saying yeah I don't like you but I like you more than the other 28 sods 
I, I, I love that moment. And I don't, you know me, is that I am by no means anything approaching a fan of broken, woken, spoken, token Matt Hardy. But, and I know you can't stand the Bray Wyatt thing and wish he would go away forever. But, um, there was something there. There was something there. I, I still stand by the, the broken Matt Hardy thing is terrible and isn't wrestling and is an abomination. But uh, there might just be someone that could help them out that might be in the business, in the company. Mm, but, uh, there may be. Again, talk about there that. May talk be, about that the maybe, 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 JB. I'm sorry, maybe. Um... <laughs> we'll talk about that in the end. Yes. But um, well, let's march through this rumble. Anything else? Um, just looking through the list. Now, obviously, there's my big moment with the hurricane. But then, yeah, to be honest, I think until we get to the final six that we've kind of mentioned previously think that's probably it for interesting booking as far as I can remember okay well, let's dive into that final six then Rey Mysterio um, still working with five star wrestling um, in the UK right now in fact as we speak I think they're uh, they're probably just finished, wrapped up a, a taping in Liverpool well they're just getting um, the, the last um, the last five people so the last five um, percent of the audience is having to leave the arena now so Oh, sorry. <laughs> live, live update from, uh, from, from, from bitchy Paul Benson. BPB. Sorry, that was a bit bitchy, but... It was, it was sorry, considering they're in sorry. Plymouth in three weeks' time and I want to go. So, um, <laughs> I, just, I just have killed me with my ticket. Thanks, mate. No, sorry. I um, don't mean that. I just reacted to a post I saw on Facebook earlier. That was not us having... That was, by the way, not us no, having no. Five, five, five Star Wrestling. We wish Five Star Wrestling the best. It looks like there's some good shows. We were, however, having to go at Liverpool. Um, but moving on with the with the Rumble, Rey Mysterio, um, we're not sure whether or not he'll uh, be coming back to WWE at any point. I would suspect that this could be one of those ones where we've seen RVD or Bully Ray or um, some of these others that have come in for like a one shot, but then six months later have come in a little bit more full time. I suspect there was a come in, do one night, see how you feel, let's have a chat and then maybe down the line is there any possibility Mysterio could be the video game guy this year oh yeah if you don't know what we're talking about we were, there's a video game guy slot which is where Sting fit in and where Goldberg fit in and where Kurt Angle fit in so once you get towards the end of the year they need to sell the video and the warrior fit in on that didn't he as well yeah. um, you need to have someone that goes into the video game as a playable character that's a bit of a you know pre-download and all that kind of thing I'm not, you can tell I'm not very au okay with video games but they will put someone in there as a sort of legend spot for the video game guy I don't know if Mr. Mysterio been away long enough for that not sure but they might well, just be able to do something with Mysterio for the video game it's slot. not as interesting as the previous ones that we've looked at but I, I think it might be a good shout and bloody hell he looked in good shape didn't he he looked great he looked really fantastic and um uh, obviously, we've talked before on the show about people who have masks or face paint, you know, can mask their the aging process. You know, when Ray was 35, he looked 12, mm. so he could probably get away with that without the mask anyway. But um, you know, someone like Liger, who wears the the, the full mask and the bodysuit, or even Sting, you know, with his face paint, can hide the fact of how how old they are. Boogeyman, another example. Um, so Ray has that because of his mask but you know he did he did look in tremendous shape in terms of uh, you know physically um i will say actually i just i just remembered i, I you mentioned um jinder mahal a minute ago i'm talking about people's physical uh, attributes i want to commend wwe for their four-way match on smackdown which was fill, filling some real um racial quotas 
Um, so you had uh, a white guy, Seamus. Uh, you had an Asian guy um, in Mahal. You had a black guy in Kofi Kingston, and he had an orange guy in Zack Ryder, who is the brightest luminous shade of Lucasade <laughs> orange I've ever seen in my life. Even Hogan was going, a bit orange there, brother. Um, <laughs> but uh, back, to, back to the topic in hand, um, great cameo from Mysterio. Great to see all the spots. But, you know, when you have the um, you still got it thing, I hate that chant because it's patronising. It basically means we're expecting you to be old. <laughs> But but you still you still are relatively passable. Um, they as I recall, they didn't chant "You've still got it" at Ray. They just accepted that he would have it. Yes, that's which true. Which I thought was a, that is more of a sign of appreciation than it is, um, you know, than, than the "You've still got it" thing. And actually, just tracking back to one other thing, I just remembered I missed it out when we were talking NXT. Um, again, long-term listeners will be aware of this. Is I pretty much despise. Um, crowds going into business for themselves <sighs> so I love the fact that they've stopped doing the they don't say one fall now have you noticed no that? I haven't they just say the, the, an the in ring announcement like Jojo whoever now rather than saying the following match is scheduled for one fall they just say the following match is for the so and so title entering into the ring they don't say one fall now so that someone hasn't got a chance to go one fall like an idiot. Oh, you mean yes? Sorry, um, I thought you meant so the crowd. Sorry, yes, I've heard that. No, the, cr- no, the crowd would do. It. Yeah, the crowd would do it, but WWE have stopped saying it, or at least stopped leaving the gap, um, to um, to let, let them shout it. Um, so that's a good thing. But the um, the count one, two, two, sweet gets right on my nerves, and so it really bothers me. That's the crowd. It's not. We're not here to see you, and and also it's not original. People have been doing it for months and months and months. Stop it. Um, but they forgot during the NXT title match. They were doing it all night. They were being all Indian crowd all night. But during the Almas and Gargano match, they forgot because it was such a good match. They good. stopped being tossy and trying to do their own thing, and they just got into the wrestling. And I was like, happy days, halle freaking Luya, because what a sign of that match being so so good is that they forgot to be deliberately annoying. <laughs> Um, so uh, I will. That's, that just occurred to me because we were talking about the uh, the you still got it thing. Um, but um, no, fair play to Ray. I thought that was a really great cameo, and I was also really chuffed for him because he was the guy on the negative end of you know of not being Daniel Bryan. That's true. Um, uh, that was some people said. Well, some people said that that was in Philadelphia. I don't think it was, was it? I think that was in... Uh, I think that was the one that Batista won. Yes, it was. It was before Philadelphia. So uh, people said, oh, it's nice he's got his... his um, you know, he got booed in Philly last time. And I'm thinking, I don't think he did. I think it was wherever wherever Batista won. But um, anyway, that's, that's kind of irrelevant. But it was nice that he got his moment and that the crowd were really, really happy to see him. Um, and he fit. He was a logical... You know, it's not out of the realms of possibility that he could win, you know, character. So, you know, I, I thoroughly endorsed um, that entry at that point. Fair enough. Okay. So, where do we go from there? Well, we're into the final four, four or five anyway, and we, we talked about the fact that, um, you know, we called the the appearances of all of them, the chances of all of them being there. Um, but I wanted to point out one little thing about Finn Balor because here's the thing I meant to say this about the Rumble earlier on most years before the Royal Rumble I watch pretty much all of the Royal Rumbles 
again. <laughs> Certainly since I've had the network. As soon as it gets to January, I go, right, Rumble Marathon. So I'll end up probably just the Rumble matches, but I will probably watch, you know, the last however many 20, 30 years of Rumble matches, um, you know, in the run-up. And I, and I did this year. And it usually occurs to me that, so when I watched the 2017 Royal Rumble match about two weeks ago, that it's the first time I'd watched the 2017 Royal Rumble match since the 2017 Royal Rumble match. I hadn't watched it again. Yep. You know, for a year. I have already watched the 2018 Royal Rumble match. Yeah, so have I. <laughs> <laughs> I have already watched it on Tuesday night or whenever it was. I thought, ah, I'm going to put it on again and just watch some bits of it. And sometimes when you're also live in a venue, you don't catch everything. So it's um, it's good to go back and rewatch it. But I have already rewatched it. And something that jumped out at me was if you just watch. Finn Balor's eliminations of other people he's essentially nowhere and someone is in a little bit of jeopardy and he runs in, grabs them, throws them and runs away again it's so logical in terms of the actual match itself you know, of how he's not putting himself you know how some people eliminate someone but are then immediately in a bit of a position themselves that they could get chucked out yep. or it's a long drawn out struggle in the corner or something like that watch how often Balor runs in chucks someone it's just a really sudden it's so his character because he's, he's little he shouldn't be chucking out people left right and centre that was my only ever so tiny sticking point about the, the actual finale is it believable that Nakamura could throw Reigns that easily you know, I, I guess you could say that it's because he hit him with a Kinshasa and Reigns was you know Sparko but that was an ever so slight little one where you go mm, I'm not sure it's believable that Nakamura could sling him like that but again very minor um, negative point but Bala kept on doing it he eliminated three or four people by just sneaking in throwing them it elicited a pop because it was the right people he was throwing out but then when he got thrown he had just done a big move and Cena ran in and chucked him yep and like Cena ballad Bala yep true and if true. you just followed the, followed the story of the night Bala kept doing it to people and then Cena did it back and I thought that's a lovely moment. Nice spot. That was a nice lovely spot. moment. And taking it on to Raw this week, I very much enjoyed the Cena versus Balor match on Raw. Um, some people would go, "Oh, Cena winning against him again." I didn't think it mattered. I thought there was enough of a story told that Balor had got an hour in the Rumble and come up just short, and then he'd had a great match against Cena and come up just short. I didn't think it it detracted too much from him I think he should lose matches from time to time like that because he's smaller you can't expect him to be beating everyone every week I think it's part of the narrative um, but the ever so slight nervousness that I have and maybe it might turn into a stroke of genius and he might be wonderful at it but I think they're going to turn him heel I agree and I, I don't like baby faces that have backup you know he's a baby face unless it's a really cool group and he's now got the club behind him and they're being a bit obnoxious and I don't I don't think a babyface should have that group and he's got it and I just feel that he's going to get you know pissed off with Cena beating him and you know I absolutely could see Cena versus Balor for Wrestlemania if uh, the Undertaker-Cena thing doesn't come through if the two of them don't really have a an opponent each I could see this being Demon Balor against Cena at WrestleMania, um, which would be very, very interesting. It's an outside bet, but I think it's a very, a very. At this moment in time, if Undertaker is not on the card, Cena and Balor do not have obvious opponents. Yep. 
Agreed. And I think it fits in really nicely, and it, we might just have seen the genesis of it at the Rumble, the next step to it last night, and I can see maybe the club attacking Cena next week, and there just being a, a build to that. Maybe Cena versus... Maybe the club will somehow cost Cena the chamber, um, and then you go to WrestleMania... I, I don't know. I can I, I can see it happening, and I can see it. I can see it being a, a thin heel t- heel turn, which I'm not crazy about. Well, it just seems a bit derivative to me. The club um, versus John Cena. Haven't we seen that just two years ago when AJ Styles was in the Finn Balor role? I, I'm not knocking. I'm not. Um, I'm not advocating it. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, beat up John Cena. Um, it's the same story, and I'm not. I wouldn't be overly shocked if they. Uh, if they did it though, it's just it's a mm. it's a way of getting Finn into a WrestleMania match. So fair enough. Uh, I can see it happening, and they are a little bit short on heels, so I think they could uh, they could find a way of doing it. Um, I think we've pretty much, just, uh, apart from talking about the winner himself, who I think we ought to give a little bit of a moment to, um, we've pretty much done the the Rumble. But just a quick one on on Nakamura. They haven't really gone all in with Nakamura since he debuted, but. They've maybe held him back a little bit and now gone with it here. I like the fact that they, on the night, said... It, it felt a bit silly that, that um, Renee said to him, have you decided who you're going to face? He should have said, well, the other match hasn't finished yet. Um, it would have been better if she'd have just said, you know, you must be looking forward to WrestleMania, and he'd have grabbed it and gone, I want AJ Styles. Um, but generally speaking, it got a good pop on the night that started on Smackdown with them teaming but also having the the Nakamura tease about you know I'm going to beat you at Wrestlemania so I think the the shout here is going to be three, four, five weeks of them being quite matey teaming up respect and then gradually you're going to get a little bit more of a sneaky um, bit of edge to it and then a bit of rivalry to it and a pull apart and a you know, I think you're going to get more and more of that. But I'm interested to see how they're going to do it with... You know, Nakamura speaks better English than um, most Japanese wrestlers in the in the, uh, in the United States. Yep. But still not enough that he can do fully-fledged promos. So I'm interested to see exactly how they spin this out for another nine and a half weeks. And of course, they're going to put a, an AJ um, defense in at Fastlane, but I don't see that... It has anything other than wings. So well, you, 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 will they put in an AJ defence at Fastlane, or might we see Nakamura and AJ Styles team up against maybe the Usos? No, no they've done it. They've already said that it's going to be Owens and Zayn next week on SmackDown. Oh, sorry, they have, haven't they? Yeah, of course, you're so right. It's Owens and Zayn next week on SmackDown yeah. and the winner. By the way, I really, really liked SmackDown this week, and I liked it because it was so different. Um, it's sort of, I don't necessarily watch SmackDown as much as I watch Raw, and when I watch SmackDown fully this week... I appreciated that they did slightly different promo styles in terms of how they, you know, did little backstage bits and they put some captions up on the screen. They did it with the Usos. They did it with Bobby Roode, um, and they was advertising things a little way out. You know, that you've got a couple of matches for next week. You know, you've got Roode and Rusev, and you've got um, Zayn and Owens. And I, I liked that they were, you know, booking a little bit more in advance. I like SmackDown this week. I yeah. It was a very, very fun show. Fair enough. I, I have a little bit of a worry that they might go too cutesy with AJ and Nakamura. There was a, a little bit of a, you know, them having fun backstage and like, uh, are, are you ribbing me? Sort of. And I don't want them to make it too silly, comedy and light-hearted. But I think in, in some ways it kind of doesn't matter. 
I think AJ and Nakamura could now take nine weeks off and not be featured at all on television but come back on the last show before WrestleMania and go we're on the match on Sunday and that'd be it <laughs> now I'm not saying I'm not actually advocating that but they could do that and it would still be amazing well I think so, it might be quite smart actually because you do not want either of those two guys getting an injury oh no I wasn't I wasn't thinking about their, their injury necessarily I was just saying that I know you, you talked about about the rumble not necessarily being the best built up rumble but still being the great show and the pair of them could just go away and you'd still know that it was going to be a great wrestling match so oh sure absolutely no, I agree. They don't need to do much. They, don't, I should, they shouldn't get too clever about it. They should just hype it, hype the fact that it is a dream match and the fact that fans are going to get incredible action. I think we all, that's what they all want out of it, and we should keep it that simple. Yes, I totally agree. Um, we are going to talk about the Women's Royal Rumble next week. Um, at a, <laughs> in a slight contrast to WWE, we think that uh, too much of the same thing on the same show can be a bit overkill. Um, so... Uh, our intention is to uh, to push that back to next week, and uh, there is uh, I hope that we'll have a guest or two on the show next week, so we may well be able to talk Women's Royal Rumble uh, with a guest. That's uh, still to be uh, determined, but uh, we will hold that back. We want to give it its um, its due. We want to give it its time, but we've already been with you for quite some time on this particular podcast because there's a lot going on, uh, and we don't want to just kind of uh, throw it away into a, yep. uh, a f- 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 forgotten five minutes. So we will given its due deference because it was very very good and we enjoyed it in different ways I think Paul um, but it was uh, it was fun so we'll talk about that next week yep. um, but before we do wrap up I do want to address the um, signings alleged signings <laughs> influx call it what you will but here is the situation if you're not already familiar folks the new 205 Live GM is none other than Drake Maverick who? What do you mean, who? Who? Drake, Ma- Drake, Ma- yeah, okay, I've got it first time. Um, Drake Maverick is the artist formerly known as Spud, Rockstar Spud, um, and he is now finally where he belongs. Yeah, From the yeah. very first day I saw Spud, heel Spud, I went, this is a WWE act. Um, I, I enjoyed him in the... Um, uh, the British Boot Camp. That's the first time I met him. Actually, was when we were filming some stuff for British Boot Camp for the TNA show on Challenge. Um, I liked him as the as the act. I, I thought he should have won, and he did. Um, and he was good in TNA. For, they gave him some bloody awful stuff sometimes, but he was always good. He was always all in. Um, he was good enough to come and do a little bit with us for our Birmingham show with Bruce Pritchard. Um, totally off his. You know, off his own bat, he didn't. We didn't pay him. He was just happy to come and join in. He was great fun. He's a really terrific fella, a very hard worker, um, and he may never wrestle a match for WWE. Um, and if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because he's good enough for everything else. Eventually, I think there's there's all sorts of things in him. There's there's a sort of Bobby Heenan sort of side to him in the sense that you can't wait to see him get beaten up. But he will wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler, and and he will take bumps all day. Um, I'm just so happy that he's there. I'm I'm really really chuffed for the man, as well as the performer, because he's a nice fella. But he's a great performer. I always had this idea that he could work in TNA as as with Alpha Female, and he 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 could have been the the wrestler and her the manager, and then you sort of flip it. So you had the opposite of the kind of the the male wrestler in the female valet um, thing maybe they'll sort out one day with him and someone else but um, 
I am just so chuffed for him. That's the that's the first thing. So before we talk about some others that are related, Paul, you echo my comments, I'm sure. Yeah, hundred percent. There's not much more to say. He's a great bloke. He's worked hard. He's had, you know, he's not had the easiest time of it in uh, TNA Impact while I've been going through the difficulties, and he's remained 100% positive. And what I liked about him is whenever he spoke, he remained completely thankful for the opportunity they had given him in America. Um, and he's he's one of the nicest blokes you'll meet. He'll, it, it, you know, he'll do what it needs to be done. He'll be so excited, um, and he's going to be great. I can't wait. You know. Uh, hopefully the new name will grow on us a bit <laughs> but um, well done mate you know delighted for you I was worried I like his name I like his do name do you I'm going to I'm not, yes I do I... because it's because it's stupid <laughs> I was I worried it's not it's not Adrian Neville no true it's a bit Adrian out Adrian Neville is a bloody awful name because it's just meh, Adrian Neville but Drake Maverick is a stupid stupid name and he is meant to be a little buffoon. That is his character. In his little bow tie and his, and his highlights hair, he's meant to be a little buffoon. And Drake Maverick is a buffoon name. So I am Fair enough. Very, that is a, and he, if he is listening, he'll know that that's a compliment. So um, it's certainly meant to be one. So good on Drake, I say. Fantastic. While we're at it... The rumour mill suggests that... Uh, I think it's a bit stronger than a rumour mill, but the, I don't think it's been confirmed as we speak, so we better still treat it as a rumour, because I don't like to just accept everything that's talked about online as fact. But it seems very, very um, assured that Jeremy Borash, uh, long-term Impact Wrestling employee, um, maybe since day one, I'm not sure, um, is now finally a WWE employee, um, he was with WCW towards the end. Uh, he's worked from TNA pretty much their entire existence. He was responsible for the Forever Hardcore ECW documentary. Um, he did almost everything that TNA did with with Challenge. Um, a huge amount of their online presence over the years. Uh, one of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. Uh, and a former guest on this podcast. If you want to go back to the first season of this podcast, think about... Oh, when would it have been, Paul? Was, I suppose he was he was building up to that quote-unquote um, match he had at Slam at, at um, Bound for Glory. So it was probably about October. Or must something have been, must have been around then, yeah. Um, so you can listen to us talking to him then. Um, I love JB. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, and during the Royal Rumble on Sunday night, um, I don't know who it was. I'm not picking on the particular. I don't think I don't think any of WWE's announcers are bad, but I don't think any of them are particularly amazing either. Um, and I turned to the Twisted Genius Dean Ayas, who you've heard on this podcast as well before, who I was sat with at watching the Rumble, and I said, how has Borash not been given a job with this company? Even if it's just as a ring announcer, he's so much better than anyone that they've got, simply at saying a few words about a title match. Now, you can certainly use him for much more than that, but if you, you only used him as a ring announcer, he'd be better than anything they have. And I said that to, to Dean on uh, Sunday night and blow me down by Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it was, the rumour mill online starts to suggest that Borash is in the WWE. So, again, if true, which we assume it is, I am super delighted for him. Uh, agreed. He's the hardest working man in wrestling. He was the he was the real sort of engine behind that TNA machine for so many years when there was so much uncertainty. He was the guy that kept running, and he span a lot of plates, you know, 
a lot of people wouldn't have, won't have seen just how important he was to that company. There was no one who was more important. Without him, if he'd have suddenly dropped dead when TNA was at its sort of biggest, that company would have had a gigantic hole to fill. It would have been very, very difficult to do. Um, and I think the point is that he did a lot of jobs that not uh, not only was no one else doing, but no one had come up with them. And he would say, "We should do this," and they'd yep. go, "Well, go on then." And they'd give him a camera and a you know a budget of about eight pound fifty, and send him out. And that's why you got things like British Boot Camp and the TNA UK fan parties and stuff. Um, you know, JB happens to be a bit of an anglophile. Um, and enjoyed spending time over here and really got that the UK audience was a, a big deal to the company um, and you know certainly in terms of how big TNA became in this country you will agree with me that you know the unsung duo of Simon Rothstein on a PR front and JB on a TNA pushing things front did all of the work or did a lot of the work and um, Definitely. You know, if you are if you are an Impact Wrestling fan, either now or in their whatever you consider to be their heyday, which is probably let's face it, about ten years ago now. But um, I think that you know you can you can credit a lot of that to JB. Um, and so if he's even allowed to do half of that, I mean he cannot be JB in in WWE. It simply cannot no. work. That's not, there isn't room for JB in in WWE as JB in TNA because. The corporate structure and the way things work is, you know, it simply can't be done. But he can be someone that can control. I think there seems to be some suggestion that he might be an NX, more of an NXT guy. Um, you know, based at the performance center. I don't know where he. Where does he live, Paul? Um, he lives in Nashville. He lives in Nashville. Yeah. Okay, so he, so he may or may not um, uh, relocate. But obviously, TNA did a lot of stuff um, in Orlando, so he'll have some links down in Orlando anyway. I would have thought. Um, he'll be used to that area certainly. Um, so if uh, if he's PC related, I can certainly see him helping, you know, helping not only the, some of the up and comers with interviews and and that kind of thing and social media nous, um, but he'd probably help WWE and give them some ideas about how they can do some different things and you know he can help on any front, um, not wrestling, um, but uh, but any other front he really could help and it wouldn't shock me. It would not shock me. Um, to see JB calling NXT one day um, I know people online and other places are very high on Mauro Ranallo I'm not mm-hmm. um, I, I know that I'm in a minority um, I would love to see JB calling NXT it'd be a brilliant day for me if to hear JB and Nigel McGuinness calling NXT would be magnificent but whatever he ends up doing you know I raise a glass to you sir yep agreed I'm um delighted for the guy and someone raised a good point I saw the other day and I thought it was quite interesting you could very easily see and there is a vacancy for I imagine JB becoming the Bruce Pritchard to Triple H's Vince McMahon I thought that was quite an interesting contrast well I mean that's a that's a long way off because totally but it's the same way that you've got to build build yourself into the inner sanctum but certainly JB is someone that could you know he could fill a gap. He'd be a utility player, wouldn't he? If you if you needed him to work on creative, or you needed him to shoot vignettes, or you needed him to, you know, do some training, or do some ring announcing, or do some commentating, or he, he could turn his hand to almost anything. It's all there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll allow you to introduce the next bit, and which will be our final little segment for the show, um, because it was something that you brought up when we were just talking before going on air, and so I'd like to let you lead it. But by by talking about Spud and talking about Borash. 
it leads us in, but there's a, a couple more names and a couple of more observations that you have, Paul. Well, I just thought it was very interesting how, you know, I mean, sp- having spent a lot of time around TNA in its heyday and just, just towards the end of it, it's very interesting to see just how many names from there have come into WWE and are on the way in just this week. You know, the two we've just mentioned, um, EC3 has been shown on camera this weekend with his original name. Insanely, really blew my mind that oh, one. I was very, I was very surprised. Yeah, very one. surreal. But TNA have given the rights. Part of the contract, last round of the contract negotiations is they can't pay the guys barely at all. So they're giving them the rights to their intellectual property. So that's what you get as a consequence. Um, yeah, but even then, even then, that, that means the guys have got it as opposed to the WWE. Ah, so yeah. If the guys have it, they can very easily sign it over. WWE work differently now. They used to just not have it at all because they didn't want guys after their WWE run earning money on their WWE name. Now yeah. they're less bothered about that because they understand that these guys have put in the service and they deserve it. So they're more worried that they can license that name during their run in WWE and mer- merchandise into perpetuity. I have more of an issue with the fact that I don't think EC3 is a very good net. Well, let's not get sidetracked with that. But um, but but, I, I, but what they could do, don't forget, they brought in Kenta, didn't they? Yes. And then they said, he's now called Hideo Itami. Yeah. And I, and I can't remember Asuka's name, but they did the same with her. They have brought people in, stood them in the ring and gone, I'm not called this anymore. True. I'm called that. So they might say... I'm EC3 and I've made my name elsewhere as EC3 but when I was here before I was Derek Bateman and god damn it you're going to remember me as Derek Bateman or or my actual or they might just use his real name or, or, or something I just don't think EC3 is a very good name that's my issue because is bear in mind they've not brought in Rockstar Spud have they? No but they did mention his name did they? I, yeah. actually, I haven't actually seen to yeah on I commentary they said this is the man that went by the name of Rockstar Spud ok well fine that's, I like that I like that they've made a reference to it, but frankly, it's a bloody stupid name <laughs> because that's he was a quote rock star character in the UK scene, but when he went to TNA, he wasn't. Oh. He was a, he was a snivelling little lickspittle and was not a rock star in any way, shape, or form. So it was a stupid name. Um, it wasn't when he came up with it, but it was by the time that he was using it in TNA. So. Um, I just don't like EC3 as a name. If you explain what it means, it's got to be an Ethan Carter the third, and then you've got the reaction, the reference to Dixie. I just think come up with a new name. But that's, you know, as an aside. Actually, before we just finish this, this segment off, can we just we're, we're presumably getting some new listeners um, since the uh, the hookup with the Sun, and uh, if they've seen us through the uh, the last couple of hours all the way to this segment, they may not know our backgrounds Paul so just give us a little quick because you just mentioned you spent a lot of time around TNA just explain what you mean by that and and why you were so close okay so for about eight years I was the guy who was tasked with well my my team was tasked with doing the international broadcast rights for TNA basically getting their programming from the states and selling it into as many countries on as many different TV stations as possible um, so that's what we did and we made a damn good job of it for a lot of years there as well um, so, so consequently I had a real soft spot for TNA and I was very closely affiliated and it was great to see them at their best um, and yeah so as I was saying there was 
you know, it's very interesting to see now. Like we've talked about those guys, the EC3s and Boris and Spud. Also, the, the big rumour is that Lashley is coming back, which I think is fantastic. Um, as I think he's grown so much as a performer in, in, in Impact that I think he'd be a genuine main event asset to WWE now. I think it'd be great. Um, is he a um, is he a night after Rumble guy? Night after Mania, do you mean? No, no, not after Mania. Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah, could be easy. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Definitely. Um, and then to a wider point, you know, look at the amount of guys who are very closely identified with TNA. Um, Bobby Roode, AJ Styles, certainly, although I would argue that he really made his name in New Japan, became what he became there. Um, Austin Aries, um, Bully Ray Dudley when he came back for a certain extent. Um, sorry, Bubba Ray Dudley even. Um, yeah. e- even... Uh, Who's the guy? James Storm for a cup of coffee. Um, they, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe. We forgot that one we were talking about earlier as well. I forgot him too. Mm. Yeah. Um, in, really interesting about how all these guys that were never going to go to WWE in inverted commas because WWE would not know what to do with them, bury them, ruin them, dress them up like clowns. They're all now succeeding. And they're all now succeeding because what you do in WWE just matters more. And if if they're going to showcase you and they're going to get behind you, then it doesn't matter how good your storylines are in a company like TNA Impact. If you do it in WWE, it just matters and it resonates. And it's amazing to see the success some of these guys having, like Joe, especially Styles, Rude to an extent. Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely it's great for, it's great to see it, and it's also a tad surreal to see so many TNA guys now succeeding right at the top it's a real invasion hey Eric Young of course Eric Young Eric yeah, Young yeah, who'd, yeah. Have thought, who'd have thought of he, course I remember I remember there being a discussion about Eric Young going to WWE years ago and it was like well there's no point because they've got Santino yeah like you, you don't need another one but actually Eric Young in WWE is not crazy manic daft wacky Eric Young is he he's, nope. the, he's an unhinged guy but he's a different sort of character. I don't think he's a main roster guy. I mean, Sanity might get called up for, you know, a short, you know, mid-card run. But, mm. You know, I'm, even then, I'm not certain about that. Um, but it's it is interesting to see just how many uh, Drew McIntyre. Yes, uh, was yeah, someone yeah. That went went has gone backwards and forwards, um, and I'm sure there are others um, that people are screaming at us. But you know, fair play to whoever has got the ear of Vince McMahon whether it's Triple H or whether it's um, Steph or whether it's writers or Kevin Dunn or whoever but there certainly used to be a real I think I think what it is is that Vince hated WCW he hated Ted Turner most of all he hated WCW he hated Bischoff to an extent he hated that company that tried to put him out of business yep I don't think he hates TNA. No. And obviously he banned mention of them and, and so forth for the most part. You know, people can say that this guy was in New... AJ Styles was in New Japan and was, um, you know, IWGP champion, but they can't say he was TNA champion for, you know, for whatever reason. But, um, and you can say Ring of Honor, but you can't say TNA or you can't say Impact Wrestling. But um, I don't think Vince hates TNA. And I think he has realised over the piece that TNA had some very talented guys but he probably got a little bit, you know, you know what he's like in his bubble, so there was probably an element of him looking at TNA thinking well their top guys are uh, Mick Foley and Christian and 
Jeff Jarrett and Sting and Kurt Angle and you know these are all WWE guys and Booker T and Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner you know he probably looked at it that way and and AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe and you know whoever else were just the flippy guys in the middle he was probably only really concerned with the you know even like Ron Killings you know what I mean when Ron mm, Killings was yeah. on top and then came back as as, as, uh, as our truth um he probably just looked at them as being a bunch of WWE guys um, and then eventually once all those guys re- returned and the top of the roster became a little bit thinner you know then suddenly t- TNA were pushing you know your you Bobby Roode's that little bit more and and your AJ Styles and your Samoa Joe's kind of got fed up with how you know same old same old it was and moved on and it's interesting to see how the, the the contrasts have gone. So you've got your your Drew McIntyres and Bobby Lashleys and EC3s who have shone in the later days of Impact when all the money's disappeared and the stars have disappeared. Whereas you've got AJ Styles and Samoa Joe that got lost when the stars were around. Mm-hmm. You know because when when all the when all the eyes went on to um, to TNA when they had the what I call the Monday Night Skirmish because it wasn't a war. But when you had the little Monday night battle there for a while, what they were doing with AJ was making him the new nature boy, and it was terrible. Yeah, oh yeah. And so if you'd watched it, you'd go, there's this, you know, Alabama, where's he from, Georgia, this Georgian hick that can't talk, that's trying to be nature. And if anyone's going to try and be nature, you know, it's, it's a Bobby Roode sort of character, but they were trying to make AJ the nature boy. And it was a terrible idea. Dreadful, wasn't do you it? Remember they, do you remember they did the sort of... Um, the Samoan nation of violence yes I do they did with Joe and he had the painted face and the knife and and that garbage <laughs> and that. So, so they did a terrible job with their best two talents they did a terrible job and you know, I don't want to we could spend 20 hours breaking down the terrible decisions that TNA made during the Hogan and Bischoff era but certainly not highlighted AJ and Joe correctly the best thing they ever did in that era was when they they found fortune you know and fortune <laughs> sort of sorted themselves out as a, as a little group and for a very short time fortune was properly over as a babyface quartet but for the most part for the most part they failed dismally on that whole section And but I think so from a WWE perspective where you're not watching it week in week out you're watching these guys being miscast and so why would you bring them in because you know AJ Styles of 2009-10 was crap Yep. Now he was a very, very talented individual, but he was entirely miscast and he looked like a bumbling fool. So why would you bring him in above, you know, whoever you had at the time, Mr. Kennedy and Carlito and you know whoever else was was being groomed as the next level? I might have my timelines off there, but you, you know what I'm saying. Mm. Essentially, there was, um, you know, suddenly Jeff Hardy was the champ and RVD was on top, and once again it was just WWE guys. That were ruling the roost, and it was an understandable thing for Vince to just write them off. But fair play to whoever has said, okay, when we bring them in, we're going to give them their fair dues. And you're absolutely right that AJ going to Japan is what did it. Not going to, um, not you know, sticking it out with TNA and then going to NXT and fighting his way up. Okay, that's what Joe did, and it's worked for Joe. But AJ became the performer. AJ's at his very best he's ever been right now. This is not someone that was that. Sometimes you see a performer, don't you, and say, "Oh wow, I wish they'd had him when he was 29." Yeah. 
you know, when he was in the peak of his condition and now he's old and he's past it and whatever. But AJ is incredibly fit. He's 40 years old. It's crazy, isn't it? He's, he's in amazing shape. And it's like, if you, you know, you, you talk about things like, do you remember Bob Backlund being in the 1993 Raw Rumble? Yes, I know. I this, know this, what you're going to say this, here. This old man lasted an hour, didn't he? Yep. He was 43. As was Flair, actually, um, at the same time. Flair and Backlund at the same age. But, you know, you were looking at, at Backlund being this old man. And AJ's only three years younger. And it's astonishing. And it's because you just do not think of AJ Styles as being a... I think Finn Balor's about 37. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's like they're not young kids, you know? They've been around a very long time and they've honed their craft, but they're in amazing shape. And because wrestling is not necessarily a young man's game, you know, damn it, Shawn Michaels was just as good when he was retiring as he was 20 years earlier. You know, the nuances of what they can do to make a great match, as long as they're in a good physical condition precludes them from necessarily having to go at an early stage. We talked about Jericho on this podcast, 47, having the best matches of his life. So fair play to AJ for continually believing that he can get to where he wanted to go, but also continually learning and changing and evolving. Because actually, AJ Styles, with the exception of that little bit where we're talking about the nature boy, the AJ Styles that made his debut in WCW and then went through TNA and is now in WWE, is not all that different. He's just a southern guy that is a good wrestler. That's his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's pretty much the same character. People talk about Undertaker subtly changing or you know various other wrestlers that have tweaked their characters over the years, Triple H or whoever. But AJ Styles pretty much has been the same character, but for a year or two of a, a, a big mishap. And it still works for him because he has learned and he has changed his style of talking and style of wrestling and how he connects with the crowd and all of those kind of things. So he's the prototype. And I think that people like Bobby Roode and Samoa Joe and to a lesser extent Eric Young and then all the guys that we're now talking about coming through in this wave owe a huge debt of gratitude to not only AJ but whoever took the chance with AJ. Because it proves that that, that system can work. In the same way that in football... You know, that Leicester signed Jamie Vardy from non-league and then suddenly teams were going, oh, maybe there's some good non-league players out there. You know, it can work with Vardy, maybe it can work with this guy. And, you know, fair play to for whoever it is. Because you've got to put him in that position and let him sink or swim. But it's, it's, it's mainly about positioning. And what they haven't done is gone, this is some loser from another rubbish company. Let's see how they get on. They've pr- they've put them in a position to succeed or fail. Yep. And if they fail, that's their own position, isn't it? And you said you talked about James Storm being in there for a cup of coffee in NXT. Well, the perception of James Storm when he went to NXT was that he wasn't in good shape. Yep. Fair. You know, I, no, I'm not. I'm not certain that Storm has to be in good shape to be a good character. You know, that guy out of the the, the extension is certainly not in good shape, is he? The, the guy that's put hmm. about ten stones since he's been there. But the point is, is that you're fighting in a huge pool and Storm was following in the footsteps of various others that had gone there and he didn't do as good a job. He didn't look as good, in as good a no, shape. And, and it's been, the perception has been that he was using it as a way to get back to TNA with a better contract. Well, it's not working for him now, is it? Well, we might well see him back. I would suspect. You reckon? Yeah, I don't reckon it's the end of the road for him. I think he's got some 
uh, influence there. I think he's got some friends there. I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in NXT. What about a beer money reunion, eh? Wouldn't say no, mate. Would not. Because I no. think I think I, I love Bobby Roode. You've known for many years. I'm a big Bobby Roode fan, but I don't think his I don't think his lifespan, his shelf life in WWE is anywhere near as big as AJ and Joe's could be. Because I think Bobby Roode could have got over anyway, but I think Glorious is more over than Bobby Roode is. Yep. And so I think he's lucked out a little bit on his theme music. Um, he has got the ability to carry off as well. He's not, you know, again, he's not Fandango. You know, didn't last three weeks and then disappeared. Um, but I do think his, his gimmick and his music... I mean, well, I think Ty Dillinger is a fair example. I don't think Ty Dillinger is very good at all. Agreed. I've, I've got no nothing with Ty Dillinger. I agree. But people like, people like the 10 thing, and so he ended up having a, a way more competitive than it was necessary match with Baron Corbin on SmackDown this week purely because people like shouting 10 fair play to Ty if he came up with that gimmick and he gave himself a, a lifeline and you know he's making a good career for himself and I'm certainly not giving any stick to the man who I don't know personally um, but I don't think I think there are dozens of better wrestlers and better talkers out there that could have his spot but they don't because they don't have the 10 thing um, I think once the glorious thing wears off on people I think Rude is a little bit um, vulnerable he's exposed isn't he yeah yeah and so I mean I I really rate him but he is someone that he should have been there six or seven years ago he's now not as quick as he was he's not as different you know he doesn't stand out in this landscape no he was a, he was a very good Triple H um, Arn Anderson you know Mr. Perfect Rick Rude sort of heel um, you know many years ago now they're a bit, they've been a bit ten a penny and we've sort of moved on a little bit and I don't think he really suits the landscape now um, whereas he would have done you know eight years ago or so but that doesn't mean he's not got plenty to offer so what I'm saying is that he could have a fun little run where he is now mid-card and if they did bring Storm in whether or not they could call them beer money I don't know but um, that goes back to that conversation we were just having but um, if they can call them Bobby Roode and James Storm maybe they can call them beer money but um, it wouldn't actually make a lot of sense because they don't the Rob the the Bobby Roode character is not about money, is it? It's about glorious these days. So they would have to call it glory something, wouldn't they? Power and glory. Uh, has that been done? Has that uh, been done before? May have been. Who knows? Who knows? Storm, storm and glory, maybe. But uh, who, who knows? But uh, it is. It's something to keep an eye on, folks. Um, EC3, Lashley, Drew McIntyre, Jeremy Borash, Rockstar Spud, all people that were working for TNA. You know some only a couple of weeks ago some a little bit of a long time ago um, but it shows that the eyes of the company are all over the place um, War Machine coming in as well is another interesting one Ricochet yeah um, it is really interesting and they, they did you notice they called him Trevor Ricochet Man of course yeah so, so they, they can get around the, they might not call him Ricochet they might go with Trevor Man rather than the Ricochet with him but um um it is interesting to see that the tentacles are out there and that always makes me think nice and positive for for our British guys because I still think there are a massive host of British wrestlers that are as good or better than a lot of the people that are in NXT so there are there's opportunities out there mate and plenty of them it's certainly another issue for another week so at some point in the future we'd very much like to uh, address the current state of the UK wrestling scene and assess who we think could be lifted up onto the bigger stage at some point but uh, 
Well, today's been quite a marathon. Um, the um, the intention is certainly on this podcast to have a third voice most weeks, but uh, Paul and I decided that uh, today we had enough to talk about between ourselves and to, <laughs> to rattle through some rumble topics, and goodness me, haven't we done so? Haven't and we? And we've done it all, almost completely plug-free, sir. And we shall leave it like that, shall we? Yeah, I think so. We'll, 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 they've got plenty of time between now and WrestleMania to hear us give the old sales pitch, so let's save their ears for just tonight. Because it's not worth us doing the plug, because all we'd be saying is that tickets are now on sale for four or five venues, and I think they are <laughs> London, Manchester, Chelmsford, and, and one other. And if they want to go to hooked on events.co.uk or they want to go to facebook.com forward slash hooked HO wrestling, they can. Yeah. They don't need us to tell them that. That's the point. Although, um, and also ringsideworld.co.uk, and there'll be more things announced in the coming weeks, but I'm sure they knew that anyway. And so I won't say it. Pointless. There's no point. Pointless. No, it's pointless. pointless. Yeah. I wouldn't even say that the Twitter account is twitter.com forward slash, uh, forward slash <laughs> underscore wrestling because once again you know, that would be redundant so, uh, so so I shan't do it um, but uh, because I won't do it I'll, I'll move straight on to the uh, to the end of the show so thank you all for listening this week um, it might have been a like I said a bit of a marathon for you but so uh, our, our intention is not to do you know two plus hours of me and Paul waffling on every week but by glory there was a lot to get through this week so uh, from next week onwards we will begin our little road to Wrestlemania um, and uh, this is the most exciting time of the year I think for most of us a lot of us enjoy the Rumble uh, as a pay-per-view but there's something about the road to Wrestlemania as we start to build up um, to the big one itself uh, we will also be talking definitely be talking uh, some more women's Royal Rumble topics next week uh, and uh, plenty else beside I'm sure as there is uh, other news that's going on but um, any final words Paul? Uh, no, well, thank you for sticking with us, guys. Like Rob says, we had a lot to rattle through. It's been a really exciting week. Um, a busy week for us as well. Lots happened since the last time we met you. So um, um, hopefully we'll be able to tell you more next week. And let's get let's get cracking. Let's get on that road, shall we, mate? Definitely. We love the road to WrestleMania. At the moment, it's still a little bit of a dirt track with a, a strip of grass along the middle. But soon the... Uh, the tarmac builds and the lanes widen <laughs> and we can get out on that highway all the way to New Orleans and uh, I still don't have any plans for that weekend if anyone wants to uh, uh, throw a bone to uh, to someone Paul will find another host for London for the uh, Mania show won't you mate ah, if, uh, I'll figure it out somehow someone throws me a Wrestlemania ticket I'll figure I'll just, it out just, uh, just, uh, just putting it out there that's all I'm saying um, but yeah, yeah thank you everyone for uh, for listening um, please stick with us uh, here on the Suns Hooked on Wrestling the show and don't forget if you go to um, the Suns uh, wrestling pages uh, you will be able to find our uh, musings from time to time so you've seen uh, already uh, there was uh, an article of mine went up, went up on week one uh, where I was um, talking about some of my uh, opinions on Raw 25 um, last week we did our um, pay-per-view preview for the Raw Rumble and will be other things appearing from time to time from the, uh, from the desk from the pens and from the minds of Rob McNichol and Paul Benson that is us too uh, and we appreciate you listening to this particular podcast. So all that remains to say is from us too. Thank you very much. We will see you next week. And just remember that it's wrestling. Enjoy it. We'll see you very soon.